championship. They asked me to do a podcast. The Coach JB Show uh, with the fabulous Sarah Blake. I ain't no math major, but I'm a hustler. I'm going to give it to you raw and uncut. That's Coach JB. Sarah Cheek, mother of four and an OnlyFans content creator. I want to give an unfiltered, be real, true evaluation of different things and, and really share my opinion. Fucking slap dicks. All in, all gas, no brakes. I love sports. That's just a part of who I am. She's got sports blood in her. She's on the cover of FHM magazine. And the coach I'll never stop trying to reach the top because I still remember how the bottom feels. This is an anomaly, this guy right here. Yeah. This is a unicorn. Ain't nobody going to say shit about JB. I've got a chip on my shoulder. I'm trying to eliminate this soft society we have. I'll drink my yak and smoke my stick. And I'll get it back what up, what up, what up, man, YouTube? Appreciate you guys coming on over. Um, we got a special guest right out the gate today. Um, we're going to get to it. I'm going to give you the quote of the day. This show is brought to you by betonline.ag. Head on over to betonline.ag. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, and tell them I sent you. Get your 50% off and welcome bonus. A uh, lot of great, great guests this week so far. Uh, Sarah will be joining us in the second hour um, as she has another obligation, she'll be joining us in, later on as we have a uh, sobriety sober coach joining us later on the two 2.30 hour. So um, give me a quarter of the day real quick, man, uh, before we get you going. Your attitude is the little thing that makes a big difference. Make sure I hope you guys are writing some of these things down because a lot of you guys need them in a bad way. You have no idea. Um, your attitude is the little thing that makes... A big difference. Make sure you guys understand that and, and grasp it. I'm gonna put in the uh, put in the logo here deal uh, to get it going before I bring in my my great guests here. Um, but I appreciate everybody joining me. Make sure you hit the like button, subscribe, become a member. Uh, yeah, a lot of you already know who uh, Mr. Dan Wetzel is, so that's good to go. Um, no further ado, we're gonna bring in my main man, Mr. Dan Wetzel. How you doing, sir? JB, Coach JB. Oh man, I, I appreciate awesome. you. Honored, man. honored. Hey, you can call me anything you want. Shoot, you're the man. Uh, Hate me now, love me later. Hey, that's right, man. That's right. Hey, I appreciate you, man. I've always have. Uh, I know we've had a lot of discussions in the past. Um, so I appreciate uh, what you do. I don't know if anyone knows. I got the ticker on the bottom there for all the fans here in the room. Make sure you give him a follow at Dan Wetzel. He's a Yahoo Sports columnist, uh, producer of Killer Inside, the Aaron Hernandez story on Netflix. He's a New York Times bestselling author. And he has a website, Epic Athletes. Uh, it's on McMillan.com. Go check it out. I got it on the ticker right there. You can actually get it and throw it up there for him. He's got great articles, great stories. If you haven't ever read any of his stuff you need to go do it um appreciate you coming in man so you're out you're out in detroit huh yep detroit michigan how you liking hard knocks uh it's been pretty good like it's a good season you know they got real uh real characters there uh dan campbell obviously deuce staley though no doubt of uh he's kind of stealing the show a little bit too and aiden hutchinson and for a for an absolutely horrible team, 
and an absolutely horrible franchise. This is probably the best thing they've done since Barry retired. No so, doubt. You know, I, you know, the bar is low with the Lions. I think America was like, what is this, Thanksgiving? I got to watch the Lions? What are you guys ruining this? No one wants to know what the Lions are doing on Hard Knocks, but uh, not bad, not bad. I'm, I'm rooting for them. Uh, me too, man. You know, I haven't uh... – I do this little thing like confessions. I got a new guest, a beautiful woman that's our co-host now. She's not in today. She'll be in later on. But we do a little confession thing, and I'm like, man, after watching Hard Knocks, I haven't really had the desire to coach. And this watching it has given me that little itch again, just seeing his staff. Um, his staff makes that show, in my opinion. He's hired a bunch of guys that are relatable uh that are ex-players at a high level from the court. Mark Brunel, Aaron Glenn. I mean, he has it covered, and I think the staff is actually making that show go. Um, so tell everybody how you got started in this business. I know that if a lot of people that don't know you, um, he's a great Yahoo sports journalist and obviously uh, created a great, great show on Netflix uh, about the Aaron Hernandez deal, the unfortunate uh, happenings there. How'd you get into this deal? Were you a journalist major or just love writing or sports or? You know, I, I went to, uh, I grew up in, in Boston. I went to university of Massachusetts and, uh, I joined the student paper as like a club, like something to do Yeah. on campus, figured, uh, just the activity. And I, and I liked it. They had a little ad, the paper come down and you could be a sports writer. I said, oh, what the hell? I'll give that a shot. And, uh, Ended up liking it and then became a journalism major, and I'm still doing it. So kind of wow. crazy. I tell people when they go to college, just like, you don't have to be like, this is going to be my major. This is it. You know, then I'm going to this school, grad school. You got your whole life plotted out. You know, be open to things. You never know. And uh, take advantage of the school you're at because there's all sorts of stuff going on at the school that you may not have ever even thought about till you get there. So, right. Uh, so that was it. I uh, worked at uh, worked at some newspapers in Indianapolis, Chicago. Um, then got back into sports writing, and I've been at Yahoo for uh, like eighteen years. So wow! Now is that yeah. what brought you to Detroit? Is that because of Yahoo or just? I was there for another job, and then my wife's from here, and stuck it out. I like it. Love love Detroit. So uh, and I like it, it too. Recruited yeah. it a long time. Recruited that area. I love it, man. Cast Tech High School, all those big time high schools there. And you could a lot drive. Of players. Yeah, yeah, you could drive from there to go to Toledo, Akron, Columbus. It's, I mean, you could hit all those major hubs, and, and there's a lot of talent in that area. So I love getting those northern kids. A lot of people don't know those those steel mill kids, those those hard, you know, automotive kids that grew up in that family, that environment. There's so much uh, easier to coach, especially in a place in like, I was at in Kansas because they can deal with the weather. They don't, they're not looking to go back to either Florida or California where the weather's nice and the girls are pretty and they chasing all this stuff. Uh, the, the Northern kids, Ohio, Detroit, uh, love them, man. I had a lot of success. Um, did you play football or anything growing up? Not well, not well, not well. <laughs> just played, huh? You just played. Yeah, no doubt. I played, but hey. yeah, I'm gonna, not going to lie. I'm not going to come on here and blow smoke at Coach JB. <laughs> nah, I uh, I was uh, I was uh, small, but I was slow. Yeah, So yeah. I had that going for me. No, yeah. I <laughs> not a good some, combo. But, uh, good combo. Yeah. Good combo. <laughs> uh, so how, how, how did you get I was get more this? of a hockey player, but not, did you play I, I hockey? not good at that either. So. What? Uh, it, because Boston, I know I was about to ask you, the college itself, uh, 
that's got to be one of the most, uh, you know, heralded uh, hockey places in on earth, right? One of those uh, Boston U, right? Boston University, Boston College, yeah. Boston College, Mass, too, yeah. They've all won national titles. Uh, maybe no Northeastern has, too. Yeah, there's a lot of hockey, and, and not just uh, organized. Like, when I was a kid, we had a factory – it's, uh, they call the tack factory is pond right next, right next to the factory. And you could play there when it froze. Oh, wow. So you, did, you know, like people play, you know, pick up basketball or baseball back in the day. Kids would play hockey. At least when I grew up, I don't know if they're doing it anymore because everything's so organized with youth sports. But back then you just go down to the, go down to the pond next to the factory and play. Damn. And, uh, there'd be enough people out there. I mean, it wouldn't be like a full, full game or yeah, nothing, yeah. but you know, uh, you could skate and get 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 a game going. So a little different. Uh, what part of Boston are you from? South Shore, South Shore, of Boston. I'm I'm supposed to be headed there uh, next week for the live. Going with Pat Perez, buddy of mine, um, lives out there. So I was going to head out there with him for uh, four or five days. Probably do this show from a remote location in Boston. So. I haven't been in years, man. I haven't been there in shoot since so long. So I, I love, I like Boston. I always did. So I'm gonna, I might be headed out that way. Um, so tell everybody, how, what gave you this, or how did you get this huge opportunity uh, to do the Aaron Hernandez story on Netflix? And 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 I guess how much inside information did you have to dig up on such a telling and compelling watch? So I was, you know, when when he first got named a suspect in that. In that murder, I started covering it for Yahoo. Ah. Um, and the my one of my co-producers, Kevin Armstrong, was at the New York Daily News then. Uh, he's in New Jersey now, but uh, he uh, he he literally was outside like Hernandez's house while they were like in one of those like all the media's out there waiting for him to get arrested. Damn. Um, so we started covering it then. You know, it's a huge story. People were really into it. And, uh, it's, you know, true crime so popular in this country. And I covered both of the trials, the murder trials, just, you know, wrote a million stories. And then as we got into it, we were like, we should do a book on this. Um, but we couldn't get a book deal done. So then we hooked up with, uh, these guys out of, uh, Gino McDermott and these guys out of New York called Blackfin and started making a first, it was like a movie. Then it became the the Netflix documentary. And um, yeah, it was great. It could have been, we had so much information. You could have done eight parts. You could have done three parts. You could have done, wow. you know, whatever. It, it's such a complicated story. We got three different murders, got other shootings. You got the suicide. You got the, the uh, yeah. alternative life that he's hiding. You've got the, the fact that one of his murder victims was the sister, her, his, his girlfriend was, the, the sister of Aaron's uh, fiance. I mean, you got the Patriots, you got the Florida Gators, you got everything in this thing. So it was a wild, wild story. But I covered it for for years, and and, and it led to that Netflix doc. Man, that was a great, great one. Did you ever? So what was the deal? Did you ever? Did you try personally, or anyone you knew? Did you guys try to get a hold of Urban, and and and, and did you guys ever get any success, anything from him on any of that stuff? Uh, Urban didn't want to do anything on camera. I think he, he talked about it throughout the, you know, cause it took place over a few years. Right. Right. Uh, so we ended up having an interview in the doc where he, he was talking to somebody else. 
uh, he he wouldn't do. Uh, he did not want to sit down with us uh, after the case, which I understand. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think I did talk to him about it at one point. I talked to Tebow, Tebow uh, about him. I talked to a lot of people, just not everyone wanted to get on the get on the camera, you know. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. Once, especially after the suicide, and um, you know, he's kind of looking at the whole thing. So. Because you got Urban, who brought in so much talent in there, and you had, you know, Aaron was already in the NFL and was already becoming one of the best tight ends, him and Gronk on the same team, you know, becoming this two-headed monster there. And then, uh, but you had so many other talented guys that came out of there. You know, the Pouncey Twins were there at Florida with them and Tebow and all these guys. Um, and he's had so many of those big-time guys leave and get in trouble later on. And everyone was like, well, Urban... Brings these guys in, they win, but they got a bunch of criminal backgrounds and all this old stuff. I, I mean, it's happened in the history of uh, sports, though. Any, I tell kids all the time, I tell my guys all the time they interview me, I'm like, look, man, shitbirds are actually the best players you'll ever coach. And that's just unfortunate truth. Uh, they're usually the best players you're going to coach. And, you know, Dennis Erickson at Miami had, look at that roster. I mean, look at these great rosters that have been throughout the history of football and, and you, you had issues after they leave, and it's unfortunate, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, you got so, a highly competitive kid, you know. Oh, that, That's all Urban would want in, in – uh, I remember talking to him about recruiting. He's like, we want athletes that want to compete. And he used to have a thing they called uh, Friday Night Lights – uh, both in Florida and Ohio State, and they would get as many of their recruits in to, you know, uh, compete. It'd be, fr- it'd be a recruiting thing, but they get like two, three, four hundred kids. Yeah. And you'd have to do some combine stuff, and then you'd have to go at it with each other. <laughs> you know, like a, like a you know, and they wouldn't be padded yeah, up, obviously, yeah. but still, right? Yeah. And he just wanted to see who the hell was the most competitive guy. Uh, and he talks to this day – well, you know, about uh, Cam Newton came down and just dominated down there one year in Florida. And Cam was from Atlanta and he yeah. Cam signed there and he just loves Cam Newton because it was like, I'm going to win every competition like that mentality there. Yeah. And so that's what he was thinking. He's like, we'll teach him how to block. We'll teach him about the form. We're going to get him in better shape than yeah. they've ever been. I'm not worried about all that. Uh, what I want to know is, are you going to compete? And that's mm-hmm. what he built down there at Florida. And you take a kid like Aaron. Aaron was young for his grade. So he was going to graduate high school at 17. His dad had just died, who was this rock, uh, also a very competitive guy. And then Aaron left high school early. You know, you could leave after your first semester and go go off to a major college. What do they call it? Gray shirt? Yeah, gray shirt, red gray shirt. shirt. Yeah. You could go in. So he's 17 and should be a high school senior, which is already a little young for a high school senior second semester. And he's down in Florida, thousand miles away, totally different culture, knows no one, and he's got to compete to play. And they've got all these guys down there. And that I think was a I don't necessarily blame Urban for that, but that's just not this kid actually needed he needed almost another year to stay home or be older and more time between his dad's passing and him going to Florida. And then, you know, take that extra year to mature, get through it, not just get thrown. Like going early was a terrible idea. Yeah. So 
he got down there and that that was pretty much he was a he was a very changed guy after that yeah because he shoot he had some he had some loaded roster I'm, i go i've known urban since he was at bowling green he used to recruit me out here in california and then uh he got the utah gig and then kind of just blew up so it was uh you know, one of the better college coaches I've ever seen, him, him and Saban and Pete Carroll, they're no right pressure. up to top five in my book. But um, unfortunate, man. I don't know what ends up happening. I, I, I feel he'll end up coaching college again because college just needs some folks. Now, might be a different world now. I don't know with the NIL and all that stuff. Are you are you in tune with any of that stuff? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Are you? What's your feeling on this NIL deal? I, I, I've always been a supporter of paying the kids and, and everything. I, I don't. I'm not a supporter in paying them this way. I thought they should be paid for their scholarship um, that they earn. Um, so if they get a, you know, ten semesters, five years is what a scholarship usually and it always has accounted for. I thought the kids should be paid for that. Um, and if you're a five-star kid, I believe you should get a, a five-star check. If you're a four-star kid, you get a little less, and it's just kind of like a Division two model, and you break up your scholarship dollars. I don't believe half these kids, well, not even half, 90% of these kids are going to get anything for their likeness because you got backups and third stringers and fourth stringers who just aren't going to get the jersey sales. They're not going to get the car deals. They're not going to get those things, and then it becomes a – side-eyed look at the head coach in the locker room every day when their coach is yelling at you or speaking to you or whatever it is, and now you have this greener pasture look. Okay, I got a transfer now, and I just think it's created a uh, lack of hierarchy, and now they feel, I think, like I said, they get the car keys to the car before they learn to drive, and I think that's we've set a bad precedent in that regard, but I'm not mad at the money. I mean, the NCAA is, 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 I think, screwed over kids for a long, long time, but... At the same time, I think we went to the extreme now, and it's free agency without a return. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. And I just believe the NIL and the transfer portal combined is just going to implode college football. I think, you know, combined, it's it's not a great deal. Uh, I'm with you. Like, as a product, if you just look at it as a product, you're better off if you've got some certainty on your roster uh, you know, in pro sports, you sign a guy for four years, you're going to get him for four years. Um, even, you know, the NBA guys can kind of force some stuff, but for the most yeah. part, you got them. Right, right. And that's good for the product. And the product being good benefits both the players and the owners. No doubt. Um, so everybody benefits if the product's good. So this is not a good product system, right? This is AAU ball. You can <laughs> switch, you know. Uh, my daughters play soccer. You know, you play travel soccer. You sign for one year, and then at, you can't 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 switch teams uh, unless you get some some good, really good reason um, for one year. So this is basically all that is now, um, and that's not great. That's not a good product. But unless the NCA and unless these schools are gonna either make these guys employees or collectively bargain with them and let them basically have some kind of union or some organization, then, then how do you set, like, well, you just, would you just propose this isn't a bad idea, but they're not willing to do that. No. So at that point, it's free market. You can't tell a guy you're not allowed to have a job, right, unless you're an employee, right? So, like, I work, I work for Yahoo Sports. I can't write for ESPN. Right. Right. I, like that's that's part of the deal. But if I'm not employed, I'm just a freelancer. I'm just a guy. You can't sit there and say, oh, 
you get this, I, I'm going to control your business or, or you can't take another. There's no contract, right? You've got a title sponsor to this show that well, you can't have two title sponsors. That's fine. That's in the contract. Right. There's no contract. So unless you're willing to have all that, start treating them like employees, hey, is this the best system? No. Right. But um, I'm not going to hate on some of these kids. No doubt. Making really good money and their families. And, and that, you know, yeah. you know, JB, like how much effort goes in to creating a division one player oh, how yeah. many how much a parent often sacrifice family sack time away driving them places trainers all the different stuff and that's that's in football where it's probably the most organized at the high school level but in these other sports forget it you oh. got to spend a gazillion dollars playing baseball you got to drive your kid all over america playing baseball just to get that's so if these kids and their families are making some dough, I can't hate it. But I, I agree, as a product, not the best move. And, and you know the thing is, you got this kid that leaves LSU last week, the quarterback. He's got eight NIL deals. Never plays a down for him. He's not going to even contribute to the program. But you get you're getting your outside sources and boosters and everyone else to pay big money, seven figure guy. This guy's basically made, and he's not even going to be able to play because he doesn't want to compete. That's where I find the issue at. That's why I have the issue where something's got to give. We got to come up with a finite, detailed line that says, "Okay, if you get this, you got to either play here or you give the money back, or you don't get the money up front." How about we just pay you stipendly? And I don't know, something's got to give. But I, um, I think these boosters and their companies are going to start getting smart on that. They got to. You just handed out money, and you get a guy didn't come to work. <laughs> so you understand there's a dynamic, right? Like, yeah. all right, I think this kid's going to be worth it. He ends up not having a great year, gets benched. Okay, that's that's cost of doing business. But I agree. When you just sat there and said, man, I'm paying a kid. He ain't even on the team. What the hell was – I'm not going to be – these guys didn't make money being suckers. So they'll they'll figure that out, I assume, over the next few years. But yeah, but I agree. They But they, they should collectively bargain with them. No doubt. No and doubt. Because this would be a really weak union. Yeah, the, the only power in a union is a ability to strike, and even the pro sports unions, none of them really will strike. None of them. They, it's all owner lockouts. They they can't. No one's given up years at this stuff. College kids will never strike. They only got like three, four years to play. They're no not going to have a strike and say so we're going to sit out for better. They're never going to get a majority of these kids to do that. No doubt. So it'd be a really weak union, and you set something up, but. Um, it's certainly a lot of change. The transfer portal, same thing. Like you just, I don't know. You look, you coach, you coach Juco though. Like that was basically one. And I mean, you're doing a new, new team every year. That right? was the transfer portal. Kids would stay, but that was the transfer portal. Yeah. Like we were the transfer portal for college football. You know what I mean? And now that is being slowly taken away. So now that 6,000 kids sit in this portal and there's yeah. only 133 Division One schools or whatever that plays Division One football. They're not all taken, so you're not all. You're only gonna. There's still gonna be six thousand in the portal, and um, I just think it's detrimental to to the game because instead of going to JUCO and getting some, earning some tough skin and learning how to get out of go compete again and go back to the Taj Mahal of Alabama's, Penn State's, Ohio State's. You're now sitting in this virtual portal waiting on somebody to call your name and you're just time's just ticking. I mean, it's just a waste to me. It just it just it just it kills competitiveness, in my opinion. But um, 
Are you seeing a trend though? JUCO level. What are you saying? Is there less, is there less talent now at, at, at JUCO, you think? Oh, by far. So in the four years I left, um, since I left, what, three years ago or whatever, the talent has diminished big time. Like, Sark and Lane told me they're not even recruiting JUCO. I mean, it's not even worth their time right now. So, it's, uh, you know, a lot of these big-time schools aren't even recruiting JUCO kids no more because they have to pull a portal kid or they're going to get murdered during the season. And... Right. Lincoln Riley's killed the portal. He's got, what, more kids than anybody out of this portal at USC. And I understand it as a first-year guy because you're basically a JUCO coach at that point. You're going in here and, and putting down your foundation. You're reculturing the, pro, the, prog- the program. And you're going to go do and set this up in year one. If you don't do that, though, and you're in there and you take a program that's already inherited a bunch of kids, you know, now you're muddying up the culture. And I, 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 I kind of have an issue how Josh Heupel's handled a few kids. One of his kids yesterday uh, gets arrested. Um, William Mohan or whatever, linebacker, got arrested Sunday morning for aggravated domestic assault and a felony. He's a transfer from Michigan. And my whole thing was I wouldn't take kids like that unless um, – I knew for a fact they weren't going to be a cancer in the locker room. And he just got the other kid from SC who's transferred three times in two years, um, Brew McCoy or whatever. And it's like, you're starting a culture. I see what Hypo's doing. I like what he's doing. He's creating a good thing going. And I'm like, it only takes one bad apple to ruin that whole batch. And now Tennessee's right back to where they were um, because that locker room don't trust your process as a leader. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. But... I, the more the more troubling issue I have is, and I, I don't know if you see it, I think the trend is going from the bottom to the top instead of from the top to the bottom, meaning the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball used to set the bar. They had the biggest platform. And what they did, college kids followed, and what they did, high school kids followed suit, and then it went down all the way to youth level, right? But nowadays, the youth level has started a trend going upwards because they're the ones transferring four times in four years. You got high school kids going from L.A. to Miami and back in high school. You got uh, you got college kids now taking those high school traits and transferring and hitting the portal four times in four years. And now you got guys guaranteed in the NFL and NBA Four, con- four years left on a contract, and they went out. And it's like, hold on, how are you demanding trades now? So I've, I've completely seen a, a, a kind of a role reversal here in, in, uh, in, in how things used to be. And it's like, wow, we've become um, the trendsetters at the bottom. And it's like, that is where I think we lose our grip on things. I think some of it is these kids, you're, you're 100% right. Uh, and the NBA is where you see it, right? Ben Simmons is like, I don't want to play for this team. Pardon. Give me a new team. Right, because you can switch an AAU basketball team. Like, I'm with them this week. I go to the other team next week. Yeah, underwear. But these guys have started – this is what the, they were. They grew up in. Okay, Kevin Durant went to four different high schools. Um, Then he did one year at Texas. Then he goes to Oklahoma City. Like, he's – He's ingrained in this whole idea of like, we'll you just get a new team. Last year at the Olympics, I wrote a column. I was at the Olympics. I wrote a column about how he was the perfect guy for this. Like, 
they had to put this Olympic team together at the, at the very end. It was like a ragtag. There were guys flying in from the NBA finals. There was no practice at all. And I was like, this is the perfect guy for that because that's how he's played his whole career. It's like, who's in the gym today? Let's go. Let's play. And so that these kids have just learned that way. And that's all you're getting now is just this concept of like, what's better for me this um, next year? And, you know, uh, I got a friend, his kid plays baseball, a uh, nice baseball player. And like, he's, he's in Detroit. He's playing for a team in a different state. Like it didn't even local kids, but but it's a better opportunity for them because they're playing more games in the south and stuff like that. And so like the whole even the idea of like, well, this is our trap. This is our our city team, right? This is our seven on seven. It's our AAU basketball team. We're all might not be all from the same neighborhood, but at least from the same city. These kids are coming in from all over the country just to, and they just meet at the at the baseball tournament. That's all they do, right? So everything has gotten that way, and college football. It falls into that. Like I, I was talking to a, a, a offensive coordinator at a at a Big Ten school uh, over the summer, and he says our our big thing is, she said they're bringing in kids that could be trouble. Now, yeah, in the portal, do you want one of these guys that might have gotten some trouble but has a ton of ability? Do you want a kid that couldn't crack the depth chart, say, at USC or Oklahoma, but we're going to grab him? And maybe he can pop, but he was a four or five star recruit. Or do you look at the Mac or the Sun Belt and go, man, that kid's really good. I want him, but is he really that good, or is he just good because that's the level? Can he like can he can he go to another level, right? So like that's the challenge they're facing. Is like, okay, we got to hit the portal because you're right. Why take a why risk something on Juke or what? Hey, I can I get this kid right here. He's a really good running back at in the Mid American Conference. That's better level of competition than the than than juco right yeah but how does it how does it all work in and that's that's the challenge i know that that's the challenge you faced at recruiting yeah because it's like how it's the easiest place to recruit is alabama yeah okay (laughs) turn on the tape the guys look great you call them up and you say you want me to get you the nfl and and you got a battle but you know what i mean the hardest place to recruit is where you were recruiting yeah yeah i mean you got to sell the parent and the kid on okay are you going to go enter this portal or are you going to go to a four-year d2 school and not get the same opportunity or are you going to come to me and juco get re-recruited back to a big time school as a better man or a human so mm-hmm. that's kind of how i used to do it pitch it and get those kids but i graded them out similar to what you were saying i actually graded the kids on what their actual faults were so if they left alabama for gpa issues he's an a grade i can get him fixed i'm going to get him right, right. get him back if he left for credit card fraud, for me, okay, that's a, unfortunate as bad as it sounds. That's a B grade for me, right? I'm going to fix this kid. I'm going to take him in, right? And now if this kid, if he ever touched a woman in any way, he's an F, no go. I don't even touch you. You're not ever coming to my place. So there was grades. Weed, okay, you're a B or C, you know, right. shit. So like we graded him out, got him back, fixed him, sent him back to the full year, and we did it at a higher rate than it's ever been done. But, um you know, KD comes back to Brooklyn. I know you've done a uh, you've done a uh, for all you guys on the bottom. Make sure you head on over to uh, Reed McMillan. Uh, you can see this is it right here. Um, I want to show you this real quick. Um, They're like children's books. They're for middle schoolers. 
And you see, that's it right there. Uh, Kevin Durant, he's wrote Kevin Durant. He's wrote a bunch of stuff. This is all him, Steph. He's all, all this right here. Make sure you read macmillan.com. It's on the ticker. He writes a bunch of great articles. KD goes back. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm just dumbfounded by all this stuff. Why, why do these highly paid guys demand trades so often now without ever finishing what they started? And we see it at every level. You just kind of talk about it, but... He finally yeah. sticks it out. Um, it's telling, though, to me that he's sticking it out. I think he sticks it out because nobody else w- could afford him, A, with a trade that was Brooklyn-worthy, or B, I don't know if they really want the headache anymore. It's part of it. I mean, when you sign a four-year, $200 million deal and you want out before you play the game on it. Uh, After you're yeah. on the podium you know, praising them how great Brooklyn is right. and all this shit. I mean... Can- KD, I mean, that I, I don't know, um, but he certainly, you know, that the like I said, you, you you're always looking for better opportunities. He's at a stage of his life where he wants to win again, and so, you know, wasting years wouldn't make sense. Um, he was loyal for a while to Oklahoma City, and that didn't pan out for him either. Uh, there was that. I mean, he he could have left, and then he stayed. Then he ended up leaving, but. Um, he, you know, I don't know. He, I, th- I think there's a there's a impatience with certain players, and he's he's clearly has that. What was interesting to me about that was Brooklyn really dug in. Brooklyn had Kyrie Irving said, "Get me out of here," and they yeah. said, "Nope." Yeah. And Kevin Durant out of here, and they said, "All right, yeah." If someone gives me 14 number one draft picks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and two all stars. Which is right because you can't you can't get a trade. No. There ain't, it ain't Kevin out there. Durant. It ain't out He's there. He's the best guy in the league, pretty yeah. much. So, yeah, it ain't out there. I mean, so they basically dug in and said, "Deal with it. Let's play." And they called the bluff if it was a bluff. And uh, they've got a super talented team. I don't know whether it's going to work, but they basically told Kyrie, "You're staying." And, uh, you know, because they were talking, oh, we'll trade him for Westbrook. They don't want Westbrook. Kyrie's way better than Westbrook. And that's the same headache in a different uniform, just not as talented anymore. So um, this is it. I, I credit Brooklyn. They said, we're, we're not getting rid of the GM. We're not getting – I mean, this is, goes against, like, decades yeah. of, of pro sports. Yeah. Star player wants the coach and GM gone. Certainly the coach. Coach is gone. And they're in a bigger – and the whole franchise is Kevin Durant. Brooklyn's never been good. They, the Nets weren't good since Jason Kidd was yeah. a player. Yeah. That was like three coaching gigs ago. Yeah, and uh, even then, this is it. They got everything is, and so here it is. So I, I credit Brooklyn for really handling it uh, pretty well. Uh, me really. too. Me too. I believe that the hierarchy is swapped, and I believe somebody came out the other day and was talking about it. I forgot who who it was, a former player. But he basically said, whoever has allowed the players to make it their league screwed up bad because they're controlling the narrative now they're telling gms who to hire they're telling coaches what to do they're telling how much i'm going to make how much i'm going to play and it's just becoming a trickle down you're seeing it all the way at high school you're seeing it everywhere so i don't know um what are your thoughts on dana white's comment about brady and gronk headed to the raiders uh do you do you think that's going to affect Derek Carr's psyche headed into his basically most important season as a quarterback in the professional level? Um, I thought it was interesting, and he came out today defending himself, saying it doesn't bother me. I guarantee it bothered him. Um, 
I'm 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 interesting. I'm taking Dana White doing that uh, this late in the game, and uh, I I'm not a car guy. I don't think Carr has the it factor, and and I think that uh, I think Devontae Adams is going to have his worst professional season. Well, Gruden blocked it, and Gruden's not, not there anymore. I mean, if anything, uh, I guess he would know that Mark Davis, the owner, was interested in it. But if he was really into it, why didn't Mark Davis overrule John Gruden? Yeah. It was also a ter- yeah, it was a terrible decision. Yeah. Tom Brady. So first off, they won. Right. They won the Super Bowl. Two, so Brady was certainly good enough, and Gronk was good enough. Last year, they could have won it. They Brady, The problem with Tampa last year is Leonard Fournette – broke free and scored with too much time left on that final drive. Yeah. He scored with like 36 seconds left. If he gets tackled and they score in the next play, then Matthew Stafford may not have enough time yeah. to pull off this miracle comeback. Brady did his job. Yeah, We're going to score in the final play. It's just Fournette made a great play and scores. Too little too early. So, you know, what are you going to do? That's football. But um, I don't know that it affects him, but it was a terrible decision by, by John Gruden. He's going to pay $10 million a year. And he says no to Tom Brady. And 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 if you're starting a new franchise, it's not a new franchise, but if you're trying to, you're, you're it's a new city, right? And you got Tom freaking Brady. Like I know people in Vegas are excited for for the Raiders anyway, but if you could bring Tom Brady in for your first years or whatever, like what are you crazy? This is like I, I can't even believe that they said no. I, I don't know. I guess they thought Derek Carr would be better on the long run. Shit. Uh, I don't That's see it. To I, do. he's a good, I think he's a good player, but he's in Tom Brady. Yeah, he ain't Brady, he ain't Aaron Rodgers. Uh, are you more of an NFL guy or a college guy? Uh, both. I got a – both. I covered just really football, a lot of football. What so, is your uh, – who you – I like watching college a lot. I like watching college a lot and covering it, uh, but I like the NFL too, so. And, I'm, and I know you're a busy man. I'm gonna get you out of here. We, I, I last year I predicted Bengals to play the, the Rams, and they did it right. And I was just lucky as hell. Um, you predicted the Bengals in the Super Bowl. I did right here on the show. Back, you that's know, why you, I had to show why you everybody. got a cigar line. You got a book. You got a whiskey line. You got a podcast. You got a Netflix. Who has this many different things? I don't know, man. Hey, Jack all trades. Master of none, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> hey, so is it too early for you, or who's your who's your Super Bowl pick? I'll give you mine. I'll give you mine. I'm gonna okay. shot in the dark okay. this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the Rams in it. I just think I think Stafford is the guy that people don't understand. If he is out of Detroit eight years ago, he's probably already a shoe in Hall of Famer. He's a top three ball spinner of all time, in my opinion, right behind Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino. And I think that he is. Um, proving, because he's going to win another one, in my opinion, I think he's going to prove that people are going to be like, shoot, was he the real deal guy in the wrong city this whole time? Um, I got the Rams playing Denver. I think that Russell Wilson is going to have his best year. I think he has a chip on his shoulder. I think people really, really underestimate this guy. I think he's uh, uber talented, and I think he won it out of Seattle is why last year was what it was. Uh, I think Denver's defense, I think Denver has some weapons. They lost the wideout that hurt them, but um, I think that with the run game, the defense, and, and playing in that altitude is going to be a problem for some folks late in the season, and I just think Denver gets uh, 
gets past the Colts. I think Matt Ryan is rejuvenized, and he and he leads a team that has one of the best O lines and defenses in football, and a run game that that travels. That run game travels. So, um, I got Denver playing the Rams. Man, shot in the dark. Last year I picked the Bengals. I'm going with Denver. Full pick. I don't want to go too chalk. That's my problem. But, uh, so the NFC is the AFC is so much better. No that, doubt. That's the problem. If you, put, if you told me Denver was in the NFC, I'd say yes. No doubt. Um, I think the the Rams have to be on paper the team. It's just so hard to get back. It is. They just rarely get back, and they rarely win. Even more rare you win. But I agree. You look around that, and you go, all right, what's it going to be Tampa? Eh, it's going to be the Niners. They beat the Niners, and they, they got Trey Lance playing. Not a believer. Know? Tampa, you got a forty-five-year-old QB. The offensive line's beaten up. You, you can go. You, who are you can take out of the NFCs? Philly? Yeah, Saints. No, I mean I don't Saints. I don't, I don't like, see it. Jameis Winston. Or yeah, these, yeah. Uh, the Cowboys it just seem like always oh, a wreck. Like, no. There's just nobody exciting me in that thing. Phoenix, you know, or Arizona, yeah, whatever. Uh, right. So I agree. The Rams are the team. So I, I, I don't want to pick Buffalo, and I'm gonna pick Buffalo because I love. Von Miller edition. I think they bolstered the defense. They are on a mission. They are devastated after the last the way they lost last year. Josh Allen keeps getting better and better, and because you have another better in them. Um, so I know it's a very chalk pick, but I'll take Buffalo to beat the Rams. The Rams are not going to repeat, but they could get back in it. Yeah, yeah. But that's a good now, one. AFC is so wild. No, it is. You it can is. Pick ten teams, and I'm not going to argue. I love the Colts this year too. Yeah, I, Matt Ryan is professional, yeah. accurate, yep. reliable. He is going to be great for them because that's what they were missing with Carson Wentz. He's poised. He's been there. He, yep. I think he he knows he's, and he's sli- pissed well, off. Yeah, let one slip away against New England. I think he's. Yeah. you know. Um, all right, final four of, of college. I got Bama. I got Bama. Ohio State. I'm gonna roll with. Uh, I'm gonna. T- I'm gonna take a shot in the dark here, man. I, I'm gonna put Clemson back in it, and um, and I'm gonna roll with the dark horse on the as number four. I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna say Michigan gets in, even though they'll probably lose week twelve, but they'll be eleven and one, and they'll lose to Ohio State, and this is the year that they'll take two out of that league. Um, because I don't think college, I think everyone else is going to be down, and and unless an SC or Texas can surprise somebody and an overhyped A and M team, um, I just don't know. With the portal being so watered down, I just think anybody can beat anybody in college football anymore. Anymore. And even at the FCS level, FCSs are beating group of fives like crazy now, and Division ones are losing to group of five teams because of the the portal. In my opinion, there's no continuity, there's no camaraderie. I think it is a crapshoot as far as what the locker room presents. So I, I I'm just gonna go with the four big dogs that got the most money. All right, I'm gonna go. Bama is prohibitive favorite. Bama is so loaded. Oh yeah, they could have an all time defense. The best player, Will Anderson, isn't even the guy that won the Heisman for him last right, year. Right. They got they got everything. And um, and Saban's pissed off, right? They and lose. Saban's pissed off. Yeah. So and Saban's and he's like, if Jameis 
Jamison Williams hadn't gotten injured in that game. Yeah. Kirby doesn't get one over on me. Yeah. He's pissed. Yeah. He, and they're really pissed about AM. So that game's not sneaking up on them. So I, I absolutely take Bama. Ohio State uh, should be able to beat Michigan and, and get out of the Big Ten. And I'm going to go with Georgia losing in the SEC title game to Alabama, but getting in anyway. Their schedule now they got they get they they get Oregon week one in Atlanta, and as long as they can win that, the rest of that schedule is not that hard. The, yeah, uh, they, they've got a nice uh, crossovers with the with the F uh, the SEC West and the SEC East isn't as good, so I like them. And then I'm going to take Utah. Wow, I think Utah can run it, run the table, win the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is. You know, you got USC coming up, and you got a good Oregon team. You got a brand new coach in Dan Kyle Winningham has got a terrific program, super solid. I think they can win the Pac-12 and be that team. My only thing is, what do you do with Clemson? Because I don't see Clemson losing a game either. That's what I'm saying. But, and Clemson might have to stumble twice. So, but yeah, the, the problem with college football is we just talked about the NFL, and we could talk about. I mean, we didn't even talk about Kansas City. Right. We didn't even talk about, you know, the AFC I mean, we West talk- is a, AFC Cincinnati. West. We didn't, yeah. Yeah. Could have talked about any of them. Yeah. Chargers, right? Yeah. College football, I talk like five, you know, that five, right. 16. Like you go Michigan. I'm going out yeah. on the limb, Michigan. Yeah. They're sixth. Right. They're ranked sixth. Like it ain't right. really that big, of a, big right. of a limb. But you're, but you're right. Right. It's just, it's so watered down. And that, the one thing when you talk about the portal is if the recruiting, you got to spread out the talent. Right. That's the problem. You can't have guys sitting like for college football. The worst thing going on for for reasonable talent is a guy like Mac Jones sitting for three years. Right. And at Alabama, then becoming then just stepping in and becoming a first round draft pick. You want that guy playing three years at at Mississippi State or at at, you know, Illinois or wherever playing somewhere and even in out the talent. So until that goes down, though. Uh, and I do think NIL and, and the portal can do that. We're stuck with four or five teams. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I, 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 I've been at Chargers practice. I got a couple kids there. I got a couple kids all over the place. And, I, you know, I've been to a few places, but that's going to be an interesting deal. And I, that's why I don't think the Chiefs are going to be what everyone thinks. I think they're going to stumble. I think that that offense and Andy Reid, knowing that offense and knowing having grown up with those couple guys there that call plays, you know, it's like, hey – that is predicated on a shifty, quick, get the ball in space to guys. They have become a long, big, wideout group, slower, with a quick trigger at Q that's not going to be able. I don't believe that that equates to uh, greatness. I think they're going to struggle. So that's just my opinion. Uh, you know, Chargers are there. Can, can, can Josh Allen beat Mahomes, though, finally, and get over the hump? And, uh, and, and and does Herbert take that next step? Um, I just think Carr is the, the least uh, talented kid in that group, and I don't think he has the it factor to get them over the hump. So it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know. It's going to be crazy. Buffalo too. Yeah, they Buffalo. need to rack up like 13, 14 wins. Right. AFC East is not that good. I, don't, I think New England could take a step back. Oh, yeah. I don't trust Miami, although they've made a lot of nice moves, but I, I don't. That Buffalo coach, that coach scares me. Buffalo gets that for one seed, and they're sitting up there saying, "Come on up, yeah, come play us in January." Minus Huge eighty advantage. degrees, yeah. And you're used to something else, Chargers or somebody like that's going out there. And Josh yeah, Allen's I agree. so strong. I he don't care about the wind. I agree. That's the one thing that scares me with Denver. Even though I'm picking them, is because they got to go through that gauntlet. 
And if they yep. get through that gauntlet, they still probably won't host a playoff game in that elevation because they have got beat up all year. Right. And, and, and by the time they get to a Buffalo, are they fresh and, and just beats the shit out of them late? You know, I don't know. So we'll see, man. But, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on, Dan. It's always a pleasure. I, we got to do it again. I got to get with you one day. I got to come out to Detroit, man. I'm sorry. I, I love the new uh, coaching staff there, man. I got to go out there and see some of those guys. I know a few, but um, I got to come out and see you one day, and uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a whiskey on me. Sounds good. Sounds All right, Dan. Good. Appreciate you. Talk to you later, man. All right, brother. The great Dan Wetzel, man. Appreciate him coming on and joining us. Um, great columnist, great writer, Yahoo Sports. Make sure you follow that uh, on the ticker down here. Give him a, give him a follow. I guarantee uh, you will love his uh, writings. Best-selling author, by the way. Um, New York Times best-selling author. So very, very established guy, man. So go check it out. In about 35 minutes, we'll have um, Bob Marier on. He's a, uh, he is a sober coach, all right? He's probably the most famous one um, in the world, by the way. And you're going to get to meet him, and uh, you're going to really, really enjoy what he has to say. And he is no bullshitter. He is like myself, and that's why I think we hit it off. So... You're going to get to meet him at 2.30 on the West Coast. And um, so he is a great one. Um, So we'll get that going and see what's going on. I appreciate everybody coming on in. And uh, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe, become a member. This show is also brought to you by CannaDipsCBD.com. Head on over to CannaDips and use the promo code COACHJB in all caps. Make sure you guys do that shit. I got a, we got a bet going, and I'm supposed to win that thing. I'm in third place right now. I've climbed the ladder real fast, but uh, the more people that help me go buy can of dips, CBD.com, the better. So I appreciate you. Sarah will be joining us at 2.30 as well. She'll be coming in, and she'll be on the show with us uh, while we interview Bob Marier. You guys should follow Bob on YouTube. Um, you will find his channel uh fucking fascinating it's comical um poll question of the day i want to get that to you real quick because i'm gonna have you by myself here for a while um so you know we'll get a little bit here we go though what are you most famous for one of you fucks out here are still famous for something whether it's in your own little world on twitter uh fucking with your girl like I mean, do you fucking eat good pussy? I mean, what do you do well? What are you famous for? Fucking bring it. Tell me. Drop it in the comments. Um, a lot of shit's going on. Biden comes out and says that student loans are going to be dropped 10K only. I fucking owe 100K. Shit, man. I owe like 100 fucking K. 10K ain't helping me. So this is a discussion here for a few minutes, all right? I got to discuss this whole student loan deal. Biden says that blacks and Hispanics can't afford to pay them back because they don't out, they don't own houses. <laughs> Have you heard this shit? Have you heard that Biden came out and said blacks and Hispanics don't own houses so they don't they can't pay back their student loans? And I'm going to be honest, 
I got to bring the other side of this house in, okay? See, the, the, the Republicans, uh, and you know, I, I go both ways, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm straight down the link. Um, I'm straight down the middle, right? I'm independent. So, you know, I'm independent thinker. I've seen a shitload of Republicans on Twitter coming out and saying that we don't need to pay back our neighbor's loans. Basically, what they're saying is tax dollars are going to pay this back for all of Americans that took student loans out, right? And it's ironic that they say that because the white-collar criminal fucks, such as folks like Everybody from, I mean, Donald Trump's filed bankruptcy six fucking times. Let's not be hypocrites here, okay? You white collar criminal fucks. You, what about hedge funding? Is that okay? Shut the fuck up and keep it 100. See, a lot of you cats don't want to keep it real. You always want to stay on your side. I'm left, I'm right, I'm red, I'm blue. Shut the fuck up. Why can't you speak the truth, motherfucker? That's what. I want to know. That's what I want to know. Why can't you speak the truth? I don't give a fuck. Like, I didn't expect to have my student loans paid off for me. But if they are, I'm sure not going to bitch about it. And we're all paying each other's loans off. Let's just be real. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme. Don't get twisted. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme. So... Anyway, it's it's weird. I don't know where I stand on it. It's just, you know, it's fucking unbelievable. Uh, Josh said training professional athletes is uh, something he's famous for. TJ said he's famous for giving people good vibes um, and also being a fa-fa. And Brian, uh, he said he's famous for fucking stealing my fucking books at an all-time rate and fucking collecting my fucking books and reselling them on Amazon. Um, so, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you is slap dick pretty much. Why you much. calling me slap dick? Because my dick slapped me across your face. <laughs> That's for Brian. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. We got a lot of shit going on, though, out here in America. Bob Mary is going to join us in about 30 minutes. Um I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask your thoughts on this. Dennis Rodman says he's going to Russia to help release Brittany Griner. Okay. Now Rodman apparently he's a Trump guy. He likes Trump, and he was liking all these people. He went over to China last year. Remember that? He went to North Korea, and he's talked to all these people. Fucking... Dennis Rodman right now. I love Dennis Rodman, dog. Dennis Rodman right now, though, looks like a fucking slee stack. Does he not look like a slee stack from fucking Land of the Lost? Like, what does he look like right now? Why in the fuck does he look so bad? I, I mean, he looks like a slee stack, homie. God damn. So, I don't know how he's going to go over and release Brittany Griner. Okay, that's going to be fucking comical to me. Um, I didn't get to watch Biden's speech, by the way. I don't know what he did. Um, Damien said he's famous for, for tutoring slapdicks. Um, 
Whito said he won the prom queen and broke the rim at the school dunking in a gym class. Took that bitch home as a trophy, too. Shout out to Whito for breaking the rim. Um, Michael Caulfield says he supports the Jets. How they doing this year? Well, I don't know. They haven't fucking played a game yet. Um... <laughs> I have no idea. I got two kids playing on the team, though. Um, one of my former players, Coy Dang, got released yesterday by the Atlanta Falcons. I'm sure he'll get scooped back up. Uh, I gave him a text last night and got to talk to him a little bit, and, and his spirits are high. Um, you know, spirits are high. I know he'll get picked back up, so I'm not really too worried. I'll try to get him back on the show. He's been on the show before. Great kid, man. Coy Dang played at Cal, all Pac-12. Uh, Got hurt last year, or he probably would have been a mid-first, third, fifth-rounder. Uh, he ended up getting uh, undrafted, and then ended up make, he ended up making the squad all the way until yes, last night's second cut. So the first cut will be the third cut's next week, and that's the final roster cut. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. 10000 on a on a student loan deal, it just feels... Kind of weird to me. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest. You guys do not want to miss this cat coming up, Bob Marier, in about 25 minutes because I'm telling you, um, he is electric. He is uh, he is not a bullshitter. I'm going to tell you a few stories. I got to hang out with him for about five hours the other night. Um, motherfucker's legit. Uh, I love what he's doing, too. Um, a lot of shit going on, man. I got to ask you guys what the fuck's gone wrong since 1950s till now because this is what the fuck's going on. Like, what's going on with this shit here? Somewhere between then and now, some shit's gone wrong. And that is a true fucking depiction of what we got going on. That is real shit right there. That is real shit right there, and it's uh, disturbing, to say the least. That is what we have gone. That's what the fuck's gone wrong. I don't know why we got that going on, but something's up. Um... I, I don't know, man. It's fucking interesting. It's interesting to say the least. If you haven't heard, this guy, uh, Junior Gallette, sued the NFL, NFLPA, Roger Goodell, and several teams for over $300 million saying he was blackballed by the league. Um, how much did Kaepernick get? Because Kaepernick's story is much more famous than this one. And... Kaepernick's, I know, didn't get anywhere near that money. So, curious to see how this one plays out. Um, curious to see that. I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know. Um, we'll see, though, I guess. Fuck. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, man. Um, this Deshaun Watson shit's comical, man. Someone made a Madden fucking profile. I showed it yesterday, but he's the reason the Browns can't have cheerleaders. AFC coach. <laughs> Ah, he's focused and increases accuracy after getting a massage. Predator gets rewarded for sexually assaulting 26 women. Illegal touching, ineligible for games officiated by female referees. I thought that was fucking classic. Uh, Whoever did that is a classic. Um, If you haven't heard about this high school football player, uh, dies in dad's arms after NFL star's brother allegedly shoots him. Uh, the 18-year-old suspect's attorney claims he fired in self-defense. I, I got to be honest. How are you firing in self-defense at a football game? And 
What in the fuck is the world coming to? Holy shit. I, I'm fucking confused on all this shit. I, I don't understand it. Um, it fucking blows my mind. I really don't. Um, this is something I need you guys to all live by. Can we please promise to live by this going forward? Can we, I would love to be the president so I could put this mandate in. Fuck whatever day. We got candy day and today is fucking what's today i want to know i want to know what the fucking day today is what's today's day uh, you know um what day is it today I, there's always a fucking day right um what is it it is oh it's is it nationals no what is it i want to know um i want to know what national day is. anyone know you guys keep up with that shit i want to know what it is no, that ain't it. Um, oh, I know what it is. It's fucking National Waffle Day. It's National Waffle Day today. And a lot of people think it's Kobe Day because it's 824, right? It's National Waffle Day today. I want to fucking make a National Wi-Fi Day. We do not have Wi-Fi. Talk to each other. And pretend it's 1995. That is the greatest thing. I, I think I want to have that put up somewhere. Like outside my outdoor barbecue maybe or something. Um, Syracuse in the house. What up, JB? Uh, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe, become a member today. Oh, it's also Peach Pie Day, Lucy said. Waffle, how many days can we have in one day? Uh, today it's work boot Wednesday around this motherfucker. Fuck all the peach days. Fuck all this other shit. Um, it's fucking national don't have Wi-Fi day. Go talk to some fucking humans. Like I've talked about this before on my show, right? As I'm waiting on, uh, we're waiting on uh, Bob Marier. But I've talked about this before. I've literally gone into restaurants and seen family sitting there, and I'm wondering, like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you all on your fucking phones? Like, seriously, they're sitting there at a restaurant, and every single one of them on their phone. And I'm sitting there like, damn, dog, do you even talk to each other at all? You can't even have a drink or eat outside and not be on your phone as a family. The daughter's on the phone, the son, the girlfriend. I seen a guy and a girl come out on a first date. Guaranteed it was a first date. It was in uh, out here in San Diego, and I was like, dog, are you guys together? They're like, yeah, first date. I'm like, really? What the fuck are you on the phone for then the whole time I've been watching your ass? That shit is fucking crazy, and you wonder why we're fucked up. We can't even communicate no more, dog. There's no fucking simple communication because of these phones. Let's make a national no phone day. Can't fucking have a phone that day. All I'm asking for one day. I, I wish we'd do that shit fucking like for a month. I, I do you imagine if we went a month without using our phones? What the fuck do you think would happen? I think you'd have a national fucking collapse. I think people would lose their fucking minds. I think everybody would shit their pants. We would have so many motherfuckers up in arms and fucking... I'm telling you right now, half the shit you see, you wouldn't see. So maybe that's a hell of an idea. 
The other half that's being not being recorded, you wouldn't see, may help a fucking America grow a little bit. And maybe you won't see so many bad fucking things on social media every fucking day. How about we do that shit? Fuck Elon Musk. Go ask that motherfucker to go see if you can buy Twitter then. But I don't know. Who knows? It is what it is. Um, yeah, it is. I agree. One of the greatest and worst inventions. I, I, see, the thing is, we invented the phone back in the early, late in the 80s. They were fucking big time Nokia phones, right? They look like a fucking garage door opener. Remember the big phone with the fucking antenna? They didn't have, you couldn't do shit on them but call. That's what the fuck we need. That needs to be our phone. Fuck going on social media and seeing all that shit. That needs to be our phone right there. Yeah, they might, Josh. Oops, they may, dog. They may go on a shooting spree. I don't know. Or that that's my thing, Josh. I think they would not know how to do shit. They couldn't even find a gun. I think social media would put their motherfuckers right at the house, and you probably would see a less criminal activities occur every day. That's what I feel, but I don't know. I don't know, dog. That's interesting to say the least. It's interesting to say the least. Um... Curious, curious. Make sure everybody goes to CoachJBStore.com. Get you some merch. Man, you got, I see all this fly Coach JB show shit with Sarah Blake. Uh, we got everything on there from my signed book to posters to my slapdick whiskey, uh, along with all kind of different merch. Girls, bikinis, we got it all. Short, fat, skinny, and tall. So make sure you got to go over it over there and check it out. Um, Wido is uh, in the house. I see Wido. What's going on? Um, see if Wido wants to pop on in today. Uh, we got, um, I have no idea what National Maryland Day is. Do you guys know what National Maryland Day is? Um, we got National Peach Pie Day, uh, National Waffle Day. Um, I don't know what's tomorrow. I, I have no idea what tomorrow is, um, but I don't know. I don't watch TV, so I don't watch the news, really. I don't really watch the news. I don't really watch fucking... Um, I don't really watch any of that shit. I, I don't really watch any of that shit. So, um, you know, it is what it is, man. I'm, I'm not really... I'm not really tripping. But, you know, we're dumb as fuck, man. We really are dumb people. We're dumb humans. And, I, you know, we're, me and Sarah are going to talk a little bit about it later on, but... Um, we got a few things we want to ask you guys, but you know, this is dumb, right? Motherfucker, if you ever feel like your brain is inadequate, think of this guy. That is what I literally see motherfuckers doing on Twitter. That's the guy right there. This motherfucking idiot is in that truck pushing and you guys, a lot of you guys on Twitter, that's who you are right there. You're fucking idiots. Uh, <laughs> I got to be honest. You're fucking not very smart. You're just not smart, dog. I just, that is what we see on a daily basis on Twitter right there. A motherfucker pushing against himself. <laughs> oh, shit, dog. National Pink Taco Day. When is that? That's Pussy Day, right? Pink Taco, is that not a saying for pussy? I don't know. Lucy, I don't know. I don't want to be... Too primitive here with the women in the room, but you know, um, I'll be more primitive uh, when when uh, 
when uh, Sarah's not on. You know what I mean? I I got I, I feel a little bit more comfortable without Sarah being on, so that I don't get no, I don't get hurt or you know get mad at me. Now Sarah's actually fucking gangster with it. She don't really give a fuck. So, um, but um, who knows? You know, short, fat, skinny, and tall. Um, <laughs> oh man. Um, I'm gonna ask Wido a few things, man. I'm gonna ask Wido a few things. Dan Wetzel's great. You guys gotta go follow Dan, man. Uh, he writes some great things. Obviously, he created the Aaron Hernandez story. Um, and uh, I was gonna ask him about the Mante Teo show or or, or or deal, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, shit goes by fast when you're talking to folks, man. I'll be honest. Shit goes by very, very fast um, on here. Um, this fucking room gets really, really hot. I gotta go turn the AC on, man, some type of way. Fuck me. Um, why don't, what up? What up, coach? What up, coach? All love. Man, chilling, man, chilling. Um, you at the house, huh? Chilling? You know me. Like that. Big Florida. We just chilling. That hoodie's fresh. Hoodie fresh, slap dick fresh. Hey, we serve oh, fire. Oh shit! Oh shit! Uh, is that the podcast number you're on? Nineteen. Uh, <clears throat> I actually did nineteen. So next one's gonna be twenty. Oh, okay. So why the podcast? Nineteen episodes. I actually just had Caden Reinhardt, boy from Cali. He's a made or die le- uh, modern day legend. Had oh, him really? come on. Had to ask What's him his name? I feel like you didn't know him. Caden Reinhardt. What does he do? He was the back to back. Cali uh, State Player of the Year. Um, <clears throat> and who? Then he went to UNLV, uh, played for USC, and then finished the grad year at Marquette. Um, he's oh, from so he's younger. Yeah, he's good. He's younger kid. Yeah, he's younger, yeah, yeah. He's uh, older than me. Um, okay. But he was he played in the 2017. 2017, he was in the NCAA tournament. Uh he actually made the tournament with three different teams. He's only one of two players in the NCAA history ever to do that. So that was pretty cool. But it was just kind of cool to have like a Cali legend for me to come on, somebody who I used to look up to. Nah, that's cool. We uh, yeah, we used to mud stomp the fuck out of Modern Day when we played. But they were they've always been a powerhouse. Modern Day's always been a powerhouse. But when I was at Artesia, dog, it was us, Dominguez, Modern Day. Uh, it was uh. Shit, there was Westchester, uh, Inglewood, Paul Pierce. I got to be with – I was actually with Paul Pierce the other day. Um, yeah. He kind of surprised me because he, he moved and he he went to Jersey and he said that when he was playing East Coast basketball, that's where he really saw the next level, saw dirty players – not dirty, but like a, a, a dog mentality. He's like out West, it was just kind of everyone's good, just kind of yeah, the same yeah. shit. So I was, I, was, I was happy to hear that. I was like, okay, then. Yeah, nice. Man, I, so you got I don't know if you got a question for me. I'm going to throw I'm going to throw something at you though. Um <clears throat> I'm going to ask uh Sarah about this later though, but have you heard about this uh What do you think about this right here? I'm going to ask all the men and the women in the room. Have you ever, what what do you think when you first see this right here? And I want to know Lucy if you see this what you think. But what do you think when you see that? <laughs> It's the same but not the same. I don't know. Um, a little metaphor going on there. Let's I, see what he's doing. Hey, I showed a few females, Lucy, 
they they thought that it was they were like bullshit. You men cry more than females do, and I probably I bet you that's true. Um, but I don't think they knew what the other side meant. I don't think they know what the yeah. men's side means. That ain't crying. That's not tears. Yeah, that ain't tears from your eyes. That might be tears from your dick. I don't know. Um, but is that a real thing? Is that how it ends right there? I haven't seen that one. I've seen a lot of uh, shows like day one, week one, month, and like the girls cry and dudes happy, then you'll show the differences. And I like that one because I feel like if, if you're not a real dude, you might put on the f- facade that you're cool, fuck these bitches, but in about a month, all the homies know that one dude that's crying about the girl that now in a month she's she's fine she's doing her thing but so i see that i like that picture hey, at uh, first i feel females are still on it and then after a while it more so the guys all right so what went wrong i showed this a minute ago this is literally what has happened what has gone wrong i think we have too many options too much info. Just what we were talking about with that cell phone. We, I, I thought we were gonna have flying cars in two thousand fucking twenty. We have a map, encyclopedia, a dictionary, the access to the world in the pocket. We didn't think about that one. Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about this, and I think that's what's going on, Coach. It's too many options, too much info. Oh, look at him. He 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 didn't fit in, so he switched. She didn't. Da da da. So she she switched. And granted, there's some people that they are real. You know, that's them. But the masses, I do not believe. And it's because you see examples on your phone every day. I watched Tombstone the other night, Coach. That's who I'm named after, Wyatt Earp. But okay. back then, there is no info. It's word of mouth. It's your city, your town, and whatever else you know. So your options of what you can be, who you can be like, is literally all you see around. Now we can see the whole world on this phone. So you got examples of wild cards, fucking crazy people, way over the top, way extreme and it's influencing the people. So that right there, Coach, to me, that's a lot, just too much info. I agree. That's why I'm like, take that bitch away. Take the phone away for a minute. See what the fuck happened. You know, it's fucking crazy. I got another thing right here. Um, I want to get your take on this one. Erica Banks defends her decision to twerk for high school students. All right. So apparently she, uh, I don't even know who she is, but apparently she's twerked for some high school kids. I I saw a video, I guess, and people were talking about it. It was kind of disgusting going on. Um, I I don't know if you saw that or not, but she's not running for nothing, right? She's not one of those people trying to twerk for votes, right? Oh, that that too. That one senator I showed or whatever. Yeah, Uh, goddamn. Now that was in your state. I think that was in your state or Georgia, maybe. I don't remember. Um, Yeah, I didn't see it here, but that's just sad. But yeah, same thing. High school kids, you twerking for them for what? For what? You you poisoning them, uh, and you're making yourself look a fool, girl. Dog, is it what is inappropriate attire for a woman? See, this eight. is where it's difficult. Because right, so let me ask you: what is a what is a what is inappropriate attire for a woman <clears throat> in a family gathering? In whether it's at a beach, uh, beach is, is basically public, open public game, right? It's a beach, right? And I know yeah. Florida and Cali are probably the two biggest states for g strings, provocative gear, wear for women, etc. Do uh, 
you have a thought on that as far as if there's kids available to be to see certain shit, do you think a woman should still be able to wear whatever she wants? Um, I think the beach is the one exception because the less you wear, the more tan you get. So I know a lot of girls that that's what the goal is. And I get it. You'll see some dudes with some shorts that are a little high, but we're hoping he's getting a tan. I get it. Out in public is where it's a different ball game, coach. I don't know if I can speak so much on like what's the rules that people can't do it. You know, wear what you want. But you got to know if you come out here wearing some booty shorts, your titties all hanging out, especially when you don't have much ass. Now you really want to put the titties out. Do your thing, girl. Have fun. As long as your family's okay with it, I can't complain. But just know every dude in here looking at you is looking at you through a certain lens. And don't be shocked when all of a sudden, if you don't want to fuck, he ain't talking to you no more. That's all you put out, baby. That's all I wanted to chase. So I now all right, I don't let me girls, ask you this. Going even further. If you if you and your girl is going out, your girl dresses that way. Now not 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 that way, but she's got body. She shows her tits. Not tits, but cle- a lot of cleavage out, tight pants, whatever. Uh, is that something you discuss before you go out? You and her going to the mall? Or is that you cool with that because it's your girl? Fuck it. Go ahead and look, dog, because you know. You just said it. You know we looking. We got eyes, right? Period. I used to tell cats. I used to tell cats. See, when I was younger, I'd, I'd, I'd want the baddest one on my shoulder, and I didn't give a fuck where, whatever, right? But I was younger, and I was dumber, too. And... I used to tell cats, hey, homie, you like that shit? Like, I used to be talking shit, right? Yeah, so right. then they look, they, they look and they knew, I li- they knew I caught them. And they'd be like, oh, shit, you know, look down and shit. So, but now it's like, okay, I'm too old to be doing this because I'm going to end up, somebody's going to try to fucking pull a strap out on my motherfucking ass nowadays because they know I'll beat their ass. So mm-hmm. now there's a different thing. I don't know if the women understand that if they're with their man, uh, that you're you're cool with it because see I just talked to a woman today about this and she was like well why can we not wear what we want to wear which I get and why can't you guys not be creepy fucks which I get right but knowing that the issue I have is it's it's a it's a uh, I get that that you deserve to wear it you look good it is what it is you trying to look good for your man too if that's really your man. The issue is, though, like, just know this is a preventative thing because something's going to happen out here. Once yep. a motherfucker disrespects or says something, whistles, does some shit. So. The girl I, has to know what situation they're putting their man in. That's all it is. If, if your man is a tough guy and likes that, it is what it is. Maybe they like it. If he's not a tough guy, then you got because I've had to say to, my, to girls like, all right, you, that's what you're wearing for sure. We're going to Chili's. Like, we're going to Chili's. And she, what do you mean? It's not that bad. I'm like, well, you, obviously you want to be seen. I know what you really look like. So you're not impressing me, baby girl, no more. So you want to be seen out here. So we're going to go somewhere outside so you're speak, you can be seen. And she's, no, 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 it's not the, that is what's going on. But it's fine. The, the girl just has to know if you're wearing something crazy to a point where they're not even sure if, if, if you're her, her boyfriend or that's just your brother and them whistles come out, that tall, what up, girl? Now I got to fight. Now I might have to whatever. And you're putting me in that spot, baby girl. So just know that's what we're about to go into. So I, I've i never had hey, a girl where I had hey, to Hey, like, Josh, Josh, I like Josh. He keeps it real. Josh said, bro, if you found that attractive, 
If you found that girl right. attractive prior to getting with her and she dressed like that, then you can't really say shit. Now, right. I agree with it, but at the same time, you found her. We all, we, you, you're never going to pretty much, uh, you know, fall in love instantly with a girl in church clothes, right? So I, I, don't, I don't think you're ever going to fall in love with that uh, baggy sweat-wearing girl unless you yeah. just get with her and, and, and are like, okay, look. But uh, you now earned it. She's falling in love with you. You fell in love with her. Whoopty bam. Josh, don't you agree now it needs to stop? Or why is she still doing it? Hasn't she found you? You just said it. So isn't it right. a time to stop now at some point? I agree. You found her. But like, and she was wearing that. But, um, you know. Yeah, and I, it, it's just all about the do Because I like, yeah, just like Josh is saying, if she's like that already when you met her and that's how you pulled her and found her, what are you going to do? Change her personality? Like completely re change her ways? Like, no, nah, that's how you met her. But I've met girls that don't dress like that. But, you know, now all of a sudden we're, we're chilling, we're popping off. But. I love the girls coach with the business attire. If I see three girls on Instagram, bikinis, bikinis, and this one right here has sweaters on, no bikini shot, I'm on that one. Especially if she looks good. I'm on that one for sure because I want to earn it. I want to see what it's like. I want to see what it looks like. So, And to me, I've had girls that don't dress right and they're, all, they're not confident. It's surprising, coach, how many beautiful girls are not that confident. They seem it on the gram in real life. They're not that confident. Shock my fucking life, coach. So what I do is I let them know, baby, you, you already fine. You're already beautiful. Not with all that. Anybody could put that bikini on. You see your curly hair and your face? That's it, baby. You got me sold. Of course, when you start taking the clothes off, I'm with it. I, I say even the little, little booties. Little booties look good naked. Don't misconstrue. So it's just a matter of boosting their confidence. You know, what makes you beautiful, baby? The Gucci shit you got on, all the tight-ass clothes, or is it you? Do you have a glow to yourself? Uh, so. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with Josh, too. I, I just, you know, um, let me see. Because I'm a dude that don't really dress a lot. So I have girls that I have to kind of dress up for them. You know, every once in a while, all right, let's go ahead and put some shit on. Let's go make a scene look cool, look the part. So if it's really them, it's hard to change. And that'd be like meeting the guy and all of a sudden, JB, you're on football too much. You're watching football too much. That's who he is. You know, that's who these girls are, so. Nah, I agree, man. It's it's, uh, Difficult it's, time. A, it's a slippery slope. I'm trying to get my my guests here um, figured out. Um, it's a slippery slope for sure. I know that. Um, let me see here. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Josh, you're right. If she was an athlete, uh, you would see her in a, as an athlete maybe, but... I don't know, dog. At one point, it's going. We're, we're growing past the shit. Don't be looking. I mean, we don't need to dress show the titties no more. Like it's, they're mine. I, I don't know. I mean, that's just me. But um, I've a few girls that got implants, and what are you gonna tell them? All right, put them away. We spent five thousand on these bitches. Go ahead, baby. Like I get it. So it's just. And what are you impressed by? That's the dude. I'm not impressed by much, coach. I've seen plenty of bad bitches. I'm not impressed. You got to impress me, and. I don't want to get too much game out. When you act not impressed, they love it. Oh, I know. They love that shit. I and I didn't know that, Coach. I was a lover boy. Okay. And I flipped the script once I met some real ones and saw, okay, less affection, less impressed. Why didn't he say something to me? Why didn't he DM me? Why didn't he look back? Everybody else about 
I worried about it. So that that freaked me out, Coach. So got to uh, always get some game for the chat in here. No doubt. Uh, I know. I'm going to see some what the chat says. I'm waiting on my guests here. I don't know if um... – did you like the hard knocks last night? Did you tune in? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, it's made me a fan. You know, it, it makes me miss coaching a little bit. I see that green grass out there, and I see what they do. And, you know, his staff is – is he's got a great staff. And so uh, – I love it. And I haven't seen them go at each other, you know, in a negative way. And I think that's big. Even you saw when uh, the last play, Coach Campbell came up to AG, Aaron Glenn. Hey, let him know. This is the fucking last play. Hey, he lets him know. Like, it was never a, hey, I got this. It was a team bonded thing, and I loved it, man. I think they might get six wins. Really? If you look at last year, most games, they were in it. I know. Even my Falcons, when we beat them. You know, they were literally in every game. And now they're only a little bit better. I don't see him being no goddamn playoff team or nothing like that, but I like it, Coach. <clears throat> Let's see. see is Bucks, that Cody see right there in the chat from Florida Bama Shore? Because we need to get him in here if that is him, Coach. Um, real recognized, real. That was my dog from that show. Uh, Cody's a good dude. Cody's been on my show before. Um, Cody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know Cody, huh? Yeah. Definitely a fan of that show. Yeah. Um, he was one of the real ones. Much respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See Butts in the house. Yeah, he's a good dude, man. He took one of my puppies. Um, let's see. See, yeah, I'm going to have some big guests on my show, Coach. I'm going to have to have you come on, too. I got some big names that are football guys that like, are you a fan of my boy D? You a fan of Destroying? He's from my high school. That's one of my dogs. He's coming on. He's one of the first transferred NIL kind of guys. Really? He's the kicker from UCF that stopped kicking because he was making a YouTube channel. And uh, the NCAA pulled him because he was making – he was only small at that point. But they pulled him, and he decided to keep uh, keep making videos. And he's with NFL these days. He's been at all camps. He does, like, one-on-ones and shit. So – Huh. And he's huge. He's got millions of followers. He's super blowing up. Shout out to my boy D. Really? Oh, yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about, Coach? Black kicker? No. He was doing, like, flips and shit. Nino, yeah, what up, few, Nino? Really? A few tryouts, but. I got to see that shit. I haven't, I haven't, I've never seen him. Yeah, um, he's huge. He's been with Pat. He's been on Pat's show. He's been. Really? He's huge. Yep, he's huge. Huh. Um. Josh said he got Joe Staley already cracking, huh? Let's go. So I'm talking about who's get it cracking. Hey, Josh, biggest word of advice for the podcast, just do it. Just do it, bro. That's the biggest thing. People think too much about it. It's not music. You don't got to be perfect. You just talk and let it fly, and you'll get better. Your wife will get better as you go. I try to tell Coach JB to watch his stuff back. He's not a big fan of watching his stuff, but if you watch yourself, you'll kill it, man. Yeah, I don't – podcast, boy, it's just a different deal. Um we need Coach JB reacts. That will be legendary. Like if we could get a, a collective five songs or five whatever. I that wish we, want we could you to do see. it on here, man. Sarah wants to do that on here, man. But it, you know, YouTube won't allow that shit, man. So they'll fuck around and block you and fucking copyright like you, you and all. Well, you can shit. do it, Coach. You just cannot monetize anything. That's the that's the given. Like you could post it because they made it. They used to be they flagged you. They took you off. Yeah, yeah. Now they let you put it up. 
but you can't make no revenue off it because they're putting the revenue to the artists yeah, that yeah. you're using. So, nah, I got you. Like, like, we'll have to, like, if I were you, I would do it like its own video. You know what yeah, I mean? That yeah, way yeah. it's not a touching this. Yeah, yeah. A 10 minute JB reacts. Same and my, my girl's song. in here, White Off. You meet Sarah. She got the same shirt on. Look at that. Hoodie shirt. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, yeah. White Off, I appreciate you, dog. I'll get with you uh, later on. I'm here whenever, coach. All love. All right, brother. Uh, what up, girl? Hey. You good? Yep. Space Cadet. How'd the show here. go? Good. Really? Yes. Everybody wants to know who's in my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they asked you? Yes. Hey, that's good. At least people listen to the show then. Uh, oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. Sarah was on a show today in New York, so she uh that's why she's coming on now with us. So uh we're trying we're waiting on our 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 our, our guest. He's having some technical issues. Take a fucking have a shock of that shit. Um <laughs> so um you know, uh he's trying to come in now, so we're waiting on him. Christian's trying to help him out. Um I'm going to fuck with him when I get him on. Hopefully, we get him on here in a, in a second. All right, Sarah, we got a few minutes till he gets on. We're waiting on him. Um, I know the DMs. We'll get to that tomorrow, I'm sure. There'll be a second segment. Um, I don't know if you've heard about all these things going on, but I got to ask you. This this girl, I just asked why, though. This girl, Erica Banks, defends her decision to twerk for high school students. Like, I don't know if you know this story or not. Do you know anything about this? Like, well, okay, so if she can twerk for high school students, then why can't I wear a fitted T-shirt out in public as a mom? Hey, we just talked about it. Me and Wido just talked about it. Um, We just talked about it. So, okay, so let's go further. So me and Wido were just talking about, um, and Josh in the chat here, one of my Polynesian uh, homies, he's come in and said, Basically, if you, f- so I asked the question, if, if, if me and you were together, we went to the mall and you wanted to show off cleavage and thighs and whatever. And, and I'm like, okay, it's cool, but just know there may be a fight. There may be something that happens here because someone's going to disrespect. Now, Josh in the chat said, if you saw her and met her that way, how can you tell her to change now? All right, so that's his philosophy, which is good. He's fair, right? He's, he's, he's kind of fighting me on it, right? So I'm like, okay, that's fair. But do you have the opportunity now that you've both fallen for each other to change that so there is no fight? It's preventative when you go out to the mall now. So, but you, I get what you're saying. You want to rock your shit. You deserve it. You look good. You work out. You fucking all that. Um, so I don't know, and I, I, that's kind of the thing. And you just said it. Okay, I want to be able to wear a fitted shirt because I am what I am. Now, when does it become too much? And 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 I got. I'm going to show this picture, <laughs> and uh, and I want to hear your take on it because you said you want to wear a fitted shirt um, because you can, and you're kind of with this girl, and you think it's okay. Uh, everybody in the chat, we're going to show a picture. Um, is this picture appropriate for a family water park or not? And I just had um, Wido on the show. We were just shooting back and forth some banter. And 
basically, you know, he thinks it's fine for a public beach, regardless of what age groups around, because women have the right to get tanned in all aspects and areas. Uh, he thinks there's some guys are wearing short ass shorts too. <laughs> Um, so I personally think there is a time and a place for certain attire. Now, I think that like, for me, I've worn a bikini uh, to uh, – we go to Universal all the time. So uh, Volcano Bay or whatever. So I wore a bikini that was t- a little bit smaller. I mean because it's normal. It's just like the beach now. You have girls that are – 14 years old wearing micro bikinis. So I think that it's not necessarily about what they're wearing. I think that it's about my body. Uh, you know, I'm, I have huge boobs. I have a figure. So seeing a woman in a bikini that has a figure versus somebody who's flat everywhere is very different. But for me, Like I said, I'm not going to wear certain things to my kids' hockey games just because I'm not – I don't need the attention. It's not what – you know, I'm not out here seeking attention. I wear certain things because of how it makes me feel. I like to be sexy. That is my personality. That is just who I am. I'm confident in my body. It makes me feel good. But I'm also in a position where I have to – read the room and plan ahead. I'm not going to wear certain things to the mall, but if I'm with my husband and I want to be sexy, I'm doing that for him essentially. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I fucking got it. Um, it's not for anybody else, you know? No, I hear you. Oh, my man's in here. We're going to bring him in. We're going to bring him in. Me and Sarah are going to get back to this conversation because we got to talk about that. And there's no one better to bring in than this man um, because he is a uh, sober coach, uh, basically uh, the, the biggest there is, um, to be honest. And uh, and he's a, I'm going to let him explain to what he does. But uh, we're going to talk. I'm going to ask him that. I'm going to have to ask him that. But uh, no further ado. We're welcome, my main man. Bob, can you hear me? Come, let me hear you. I fucking hear you fine. I'm just start swearing because I didn't have to become Bill Gates and uh, and uh, and Job Steve Jobs at the same time to get on this um, podcast. It was hey, like, I, 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 I got a I got a huge Canadian following. Okay, I got to mm-hmm. be honest. I got a huge fucking Canadian following, and. I had I told I wanted to tell everybody in the chat I'm like these fucking Canadians now can't figure out how to log on to fucking Streamyard. So, yeah. hey, I'm glad you got it done, man. Where you I at? Did. It wasn't that difficult, but it was like change the computer. I have like one MacBook <laughs> Pro, one MacBook Air, and uh. it's like your guy was completely helpful. I said I I, said, I didn't want to put Chrome on the other ones, and sort of my tech guys don't like it. So do you have it on one of them? I said, yeah. I ran upstairs. And then I'm like, there's a safe in my house. And I leave the other computer there because I think that someone's coming to get my tech all the time. But no one is. Hey, so and I don't I don't need to fire my guy, Christian. He, he did all right, huh? Yeah. He did very well. And uh, my cat meowed. He says, I have a cat, too. I said, yeah, good. Yeah. That, yeah. Given to me by my ex-wife. My guy, she left him and she left. And um, I keep the cats. So 
I've got that going for me. Well, Bob, this is this is the lovely Sarah, our co-host. So I want to introduce you guys. She's our co-host now on the show. Hi, Sarah. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you doing? Oh, I got I'm to, great. Uh, I was in your your position yesterday, the day before, a little bit today. Oh, but apparently, <laughs> you're not Canadian, and it's a Canadian thing. <laughs> JB says it's a Canadian thing. It's not. It's uh, <laughs> And no how doubt. many podcasts have you done? Oh, no, a hundred. Never had this issue before. All of a sudden it was that. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I want to start this by saying I met up with JB in Hollywood last week. And it was like I've known this man. It was crazy. It was like you and I have been, uh, we've known each other since high school. I met up with him and it was like so symbiotic or the way we think, the way we talk. I was, you know, clearly he was uh I think I needed a beginner chip when they, they brought us a Diet Coke and they brought him his nitrous uh, <laughs> mark and he goes, can you taste alcohol? And I was like, holy shit. I put it in my mouth. I said, yeah, yeah, I can taste that. No problem. But the laugh afterwards is like, I, my takeaway was like, I felt like I've known this guy my whole life. It was really interesting. And uh, I call most of the idiots that are close to me dick slap and his is called slap dick. So it's really interesting. Like, how the fuck did that happen? So I think it's yeah. like this. Yeah, it, and I did not grow up in Compton. I grew up in French <laughs> Canada, but um, you know, it's the universe. It is, and the universe has revealed itself to uh, me becoming our entering JB sphere. And um, yeah, and I think that what is it? Because I'm a 57 year old white guy. <laughs> I I'm the most persecuted man on earth. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. Or I'm either I've been passed by for a generation. And it's curious because. When I was a kid, my dad used to say, oh, fuck the youth of today, man. You're going to get eaten alive in this world. But I'm nowhere near as, you know, uh, I've, I've been able to carve or cobble out a certain, a certain existence, especially in the recovery sphere that I now work in. Um, it, it's interesting that, you know, I, I guess I'm considered old school which is crazy because when did that happen? But it happened. So, yeah. Well, I wanted to introduce you uh Fucking guy took my 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 lore right. He just took all my steam away because that's just he's the guy like that. So he has to do it. I gotta show everybody who you are. So I have a video. I'm gonna show you real quick for the for the crowd. Everybody in the room, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe. Take a look at this. This is this is Bob Marier, and he is a sober coach. And make sure I'm gonna put his. Uh, his deal on the chat, and he's going to have his ticker on the bottom. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. Uh, when you go to his Instagram, you're going to see he's got the blue check. He's verified, and he is uh, very, very well followed. So make sure you follow that. But let's show you who he is and so you can get an understanding of who he is right now. And I want you to open all the windows in your apartment, and I want you to get out of the ice-cold shower and go lie in the middle of your hardwood floor naked and try and stay warm while you cry. That's what it's like to be me every fucking day. (laughs) You know what's good about being in recovery? If you're good at it, you stop really giving a shit what other people think about you. (laughs) Love it. I've become... So I could pause this too, Bob, and talk to you. So... This so, right here, is that somebody filming you in your crew or somebody yeah. you saw and said, fuck you? Um, 
that was somebody that was filming me from Vice. Um, oh, okay. It was actually the director of, actually the producer of the shows next to me in that car. We never thought they'd use it. It was like, they're following this. This is fucking insane. I'm in the rental car and they're like, um, so I sort of gave them the, uh, the finger. All right, so it's like I, a two-minute clip. Just take, stay tuned. Watch who he is. He's going to go, and you're going to hear him exactly explain who he is. Enough at my skills where people would ask me for help. When someone's leaving post-acute care and they want to be reintegrated back into their lives, a sobriety coach can make that a lot easier. This guy just got out of treatment. He wants you to stay with him for a few days. And I got asked to do that on a couple of occasions. And then my wife, she said, like, this is what you do. So your gift, you're, you have a gift. I love you. What? I love you too, Bob. Are you okay, though? This is a disease that is not a moral failing. And if we can start looking at it like that. I saw a video. The whole world's going to see it. I don't have a problem with that, but it is extremely embarrassing. Yes, I have some more crack over here. Do I? Am I an addict? No. Can you get off my property, please? Can't go get off my property! I got a call in early June to say, would you be interested in working Rob Ford? And I said, yeah, shit, yeah, absolutely. I went to Greenstone, a treatment center north of Toronto. Was he sober when you got there? He wasn't in great shape. Did he drink a lot when he did drink? Do you know, like, what, what is... An that? Olympic level, big. He told me flat out you could drink a Mickey like it was a shot. He couldn't have been any less interested in having a sobriety coach as I was to having root canal, uh, <laughs> you know. We went at it pretty hard. He called me a, a you know, Frenchie. You're just a Frenchie Quebecer. You weigh a buck fifty, you know, whatever. I used to call him a fat fuck. Uh, you know, a Mr. Mayor told him, buddy, if you think you're gonna leave here, then it's gonna be easy, especially being you. And uh, I think I shook him up enough that he said, okay, maybe this is a good idea. It was like he just said, I'll do whatever it takes. Like a bull in a china shop. So that was the mayor, correct, in yeah. Canada. Yeah. All right, so let me introduce this man right here real quick my way, real fast so everybody knows. I got to hang out with Bob. He just told a very similar story that I was going to tell. Last week, Beverly Hills, California, at a big-time event, and uh, I got to share some Diet Coke with them, as he eloquently put it. Uh, I only talk to people for long periods of time if they can hold my attention. And trust me, he did that. Um, he did that, and uh, I got two stories about Bob in one night. First of all, he's been sober, I think he told me, for some 14 years now? 18 years. 18 years. How many hours? 70,000? Uh, 70,000. I can check my... Uh, he has his phone. It's, uh, it's, is it 7,000? I don't know. It's, it's way more than that. Okay, I figured that. Um, he told me he's been, he's been sober for... A, uh, he has it down to the hours, by the way, folks. So I want yeah. you to know, he has it down to the hours... And, and, and while he tells us that, uh, my slapdick ass gave him a drink of my whiskey and Coke. S oh, shit. So he's 6,000. Is that 6,000 days? Yeah, I can't get it down good because I'm... There you go. Much better. It's, Drinks uh, not consumed. 102,000. Right. That's 18 and a half years. And that's 18. like an app that you can do undone. You can put it for smoking or, I guess, for masturbating if you really needed to have it. But you can do pretty well anything you want with it. 
Hey, so so I give him a whiskey and coke on an accident, and uh, he may never forgive me. But secondly, he's he's second story is we're mingling around with Matt Barnes and Marcellus Wiley and Paul Pierce and Daryl Strawberry, who he has, uh, who, who who Bob actually has a relationship with, and uh, some random fans came over and started you know talking to us, and I got to see this man in action, and and when he used the word motherfucker twenty two times in a sentence, I said to myself. Holy fuck, where have you been? I only have two friends in the world. I could use a fucking third one. And that is how I, I, I kicked it off with this man. And uh, so please explain the mayor story. This is what he does. Follow him on YouTube. Follow him on it's IG. A, it's um, a crazy thing. I'm an interventionist by trade. So my job is an un, not a normal act. Um, and my recovery comes by way of an intervention. Um, when I was, and I was high functioning, like what that means is I had a job, I had rent, I had, you know, uh, I had mortgage, I had cars, I had, nothing was gone from my life, but I was functioning, but my misery and the amount of, you know, it, the, every relationship I had was affected by my addiction. Um, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. That being, being that said, alcohol is a drug. I always have to tell people like somehow, oh, I don't do any drugs, but you're a drunk and you are drinking a substance that is by, you know, the FDA, a drug. Um, and an interventionist came in because for years, when well-intentioned people told me, you know, Bob, yeah, I might want to take a look at this. Uh, you know, you're, you're going a little hard. And those people had to be amputated by my, from my life. It was that simple. You know what? fuck you or fuck off and my own family. I'd become estranged and you become estranged from people that care about you and you start lying this narrative. And you're, you guys both know people that drive a narrative and you're like, fuck, they don't even, are they clueless to the fact that we see a different version of what they're portraying to be? So the interventionist comes in and on that day, He'll bring your group of family, usually family, together and say, look, we need to get your loved one help because it, and for me, it was getting dangerous. Like I was getting ready to check out. There's no doubt about my addiction. I got to a point where, no, I hadn't lost a job. I was about to lose my life. The battle with the bottle and the booze and the drugs was serious. So they bring in an interventionist and my narrative is over. Um, I told you this, Jason, there were two people in every relationship where there's an addict. There's a banker and there's a fucking uh, a janitor because someone's paying for this shit and someone's signing off on this shit. And they allow this behavior to continue. And uh, yeah, I talked to Bob, like my mother was, God bless her. She would say, you know, oh, you know, it's okay. He's a victim of circumstance. My mom, God bless her, was loving me because I was her child. But that's codependent behavior and it kept me sick. So looking at that and how I wanted to live my life, an interventionist came in and told my family on this day, we're all going to speak this way and we're going to get him into treatment. Now that is really what my job is. I get people to go to rehab and once they go to rehab, they can, you know, how they, you know, you, you go to treatment and you, you learn why you do the things you do. Alcohol is a symptom or my drugs were a symptom. The problem was Bob. And that's the same thing with anyone that's addicted. So that's really what my job is. In the case of this Rob Ford guy, he was the biggest, uh, you know, Toronto's the biggest city in Canada. I think it's the fourth, it's the, it is the fourth biggest metropolis in North America. So it's a city, a big city. And he was having a very public problem with this. And over the, jokingly, maybe a year before I met him, I went to a hockey game in Toronto. Canadians go to big Canadians Leafs game. 
Sarah's back. I feel better already. Um, that's my ADD brain. Um, but I met him there and he was like, there was all kinds of commotion. There may have been a tape of him smoking crack and stuff. So it was pretty crazy. Met him that night. He was super affable. Little did I know that like nine months later, I would be called. Um, they were looking for someone to help him. He wasn't listening to anybody or this and that. And they went through a long list of people and lo and behold, I became that person. And, you know, people in the business that I work in would say, well, that was the lucky break you had. It's funny how lucky is, right? Like I have to be able to do my job and do it clearly, continue to do it to be able to get to this level. But it did change the trajectory of my life. And you got 600,000 IG followers. That's pretty I good. That means really, you know, I, 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 and it's funny because unless you know me, you can't send me a, it became a monster. I, I mean, vice made me famous. And I don't really, I used to post a lot and it became like a job answering stuff. And I work in a space where people are calling me with their problems and I don't want to leave anyone on the side of the road. I want to be able to help people, you know, take an angle of pursuit. I went to get my hair cut today and the guy washing my hair's sister showed up. It was all planned. Apparently when I showed up, they knew they were going to talk to me and they were like, yeah, my baby daddy's having this, 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 and this, and the medication. And she's like, my God, you know about all this. I said, no, it's pretty normal to me, but it's not normal to you guys. And I was able to, you know, give them a place to, this is which way we should go about it. Usually that starts with a conversation with a therapist. And I'm going to use this again. I went to a family therapist, guys, for 10 years. You know, I'm going to see, I'm in therapy, but I go to the therapist, tell them 30% of the truth and 70% of my bullshit narrative. This is what's really going on. I was fucking lying to them. And then I'd have the gall. You've met people. I went to a fucking therapist. What do they know? Well, of course, I just lied my ass off to them. <laughs> I want the result, you know? So my job is like when you hire me or I come into the family or I come into a business or I come into in the mayor's, we're going to change that because the sickest person in the equation can't be in charge of a treatment plan if you want a result. It would be impossible. And... You know, I, I don't know how many times I've been told, I fucking hate it, Bob. I hate this guy. And then, you know, I was at my home group uh, last night, and, like, there's about four or five guys in there that when they first met me, they were like, they wouldn't pee on me if I was on fire. And now they're like, I'm their boy. You know, they like the fact that I came in there. Because someone has to stop this direction. Like, when we've had these superstars, like Whitney Houston, who died at the hotel we were at the other night. She died at the hotel. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine how many people were trying to tell her, hey, you need to. And in this case, a lot of famous people have people saying, yeah, you're right. You're the fucking unicorn. You're different than everyone else. No, they're not. They end up dead. And that's the same thing with anything I do. And I can change that narrative from them and get them to get honest. And when you can be honest with yourself, you're going to have a much easier time in living your life. I can't tell you that. The day I stopped drinking and using drugs, I became better. The process was underway. It probably took me 10 years. Like when my dad died, I was nine years sober. That was the day I'd been dreading my whole life. I'm the baby of six kids. And I was like, my dad died. And I'm going to tell you, my dad was born in 1925. Putting his arm around me and calling his son never happened. Did he love me? Absolutely. He would have killed me if he hadn't. But I told you, Jason, my dad looked through me most of my life. He looked right through me. It didn't matter what shit I was talking about. It was just like, oh, my my son. Here comes uh, Punchy, my fucking youngest, who's just singing whatever bullshit's coming out of his mouth. That narrative had started at a young age. When I came into recovery, my dad started to get some respect. I didn't know, like, 
again, look at when people are addicted, I often say, like, look at your mom's side and your dad's side of the family and go back three generations. Oh, yeah, Uncle Bill died when he was 33 years old. He was depressed. No, Uncle Bill died of cirrhosis and he was drunk. But we used to look at this as a shame-based disease. Now, if you look at it, like, wow, in my gene pool, there could possibly be some addictive issues or some mental health issues. And we're having a different talk about it in 2022, meaning there could be some of that in me. And then that capacity to be honest really straightens the way we want to get better and the way we want to do it. But like, I come into these problems and people see it. They're like, holy shit, that makes sense. The same thing with I told you about the addiction therapist. When I went to rehab, I only went once. When I went to rehab, I'm like, how does this fucking guy know so much about me? I'm like, man, I'm looking around the room like this guy knows. And he said, hey, uh, Bob, relax. You're not a unicorn. You've got your one your whole life, but you are a garden variety addict. Your addiction is completely humdrum. There's nothing remarkable about it. The remarkable piece is now that we've given you and armed you with the information that you have, an illness that there is no cure, the only solution is an abstinence-based life. And then from that point, hopefully, with psychotherapy and the ability to become better, I remember being in rehab and getting into bed and going like, fuck, man, there's a piss pad in my bed, like that crinkling sound. And I was like, I'm 39 years old. My birthday happened in rehab. And I was like, how the hell? Like, this isn't HBO and white sheets. Like, I, I got a piss pad. I'm in a geriatric place. And this is the best I can do. And I think that's one of the things that, JB, there's a competitive spirit to every human, I believe, even the ones that say I'm not competitive. But at that point onwards, I turned a lot of the skills I had learned from my modest, although humble football playing days. Like, dude, I didn't come here to be second best. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I behaving like an idiot? I have had way better opportunities than most, and I've squandered them. That changes now. That changes today. And it was like there was no fanfare. There was no fucking very little hope, like a spark of hope. And let's try and build out this recovery. And I slowly started owning a lot of the shitty things I had done, speaking about all the bad feelings or insecurities I had. And my life turned around. Like I started getting better. And it was like almost overnight. It was like, man, uh, how come I'm at ease around these functions? I was at a room full of people drinking the other night. Did I look like I was scared or in any way discombobulated? No. So there's a wonderment. There's a wonderful thing that what I get to do is I'll come into people's lives, sometimes for a short amount of time, most people for a long amount of time, and I'll, be able to sort of shepherd them out of that. And I don't, when people say, well, you're an alcoholic and a drug addict, or you were once, or you're cured, there's no fucking cure. I am, I've got today in my recovery. Uh, I never say words like, oh, I've got this now. Fuck you, I've got this. I got today. That's how I have to look at it. All right, hit my microphone. Now, explain it, tell everybody, tell, Bang. Tell, tell everybody where you became sober. Out of all places, you became sober in probably the hardest city yep. in America. I want you to think that I had an overdose in California. I went to a detox in California and then to a rehab in Montreal. At 42 days into this rehab, I was thrown out because I wouldn't take what they call a humility job. I refused to go work at Dunkin' Donuts. It's like, fuck, it, not happening. So I went to a sober living in South Beach, where I now have a home, and I love it. But people are like, they, I remember like my brothers and sisters told my mom, you signed off on him going to a sober living in South Beach. Are you insane? Uh, and that, as I told JB, changed my life. Um, they have great recovery in Florida. They have great recovery everywhere, really. 
it is what you make it. But that place really, I was in the heart of the party. I remember like we'd be going to meetings at 7 a.m. and people much like I had done when I was in South Beach were still going out or walking home or, you know, making their way way back to their homes. And I was 7 a.m. bright eyed, bushy tailed on my way to an AA meeting. And it was there was a clubhouse on the Sobe room. It was phenomenal. And I think of the people along the way. And I mean, really, when you look back at your lives, like Sarah and JB, how many people have you met along the way to get to where you're at? And some have come, some have gone. But there's an interesting dichotomy of humans that come in and out of your life. I see things in such a different way and, um, you know, shitty situations. And I'm like trying to tell myself something. Maybe I'm trying to learn something here instead of my self-will run a ride. Motherfucker. Traffic was bad. The lineup at the bank was bad. All of this ego and this self-run, self-will run amok. I've become a lot better at processing shit. And that Miami, uh, Miami became my adopted city and one that I am forever grateful for. I love it there. Um, the cornerstone of my sobriety is my tan. I'm uh, George uh, George Hamilton's. My George Hamilton. <laughs> he follows me on Instagram, so I've got that. Oh, quote. shit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so so you addictions. Um, you know, we got some folks in the chat. Uh, Josh, California native here in San Diego. Um, she he's saying that it's hitting home because he's gone through rehab. So he said this shit hits home. But so explain. So you do uh, you 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 prevent it. You're a, you're a you're a. I mean, I sort of come in and I manage the uh, I manage this program like i um, i work with a series of treatment centers they're not all created equal you want to get something sometimes the census and where you're going fits a personality or a better person sometimes it's the economic constraints like if people don't have insurance in america treatment's expensive but having the opportunity to help yourself and what i do is i come in and i'll sort of shepherd these people through the process and whoever i'm not seeing the chat so i can't see the comments or maybe i can um the uh, the the problems that we have during the during during our recovery often have to do with like I'm managing it myself, meaning the sickest person in the equation. And I like the way that you know I think of my, where my life was. The inability to be honest to myself, forget to everyone else. Like fucking, I remember being in rehab, going. Uh, lying to myself for 15 fucking years and i remember i talked about being in that room going how do they know so much about me there was something almost freeing about realizing that i wasn't the worst person on earth and that i shouldn't be this ashamed of being you know comfortable of being my the you know this this is a a common um you know i i felt like dog shit about my life most of the time and i masked it by being high and drunk being the life of the party, having FOMO. Like I always thought if I didn't, wasn't out, I'd be missing it. Um, I was, my friends are such degenerates and I love my friend. Like I, I, some of them, I got sober. A lot of them got sober too. Some of them didn't, some of them died, but no one ever judged me for coming into recovery and they respected the choice that I had made to change it. And most people liked me more this way than the other way because there was a lot less drama. But having a, a really, um, you know, a, a, I had much more meaningful relationships. If I didn't dovetail the thing, the day my dad died, I was so available to my mom and my brothers and sisters. I was such a pillar of like strength. I had become and it. was something really made me feel good about it. I was like, man, motherfucker, he would have been really proud of me today. He would have felt like, 
my God, what happened? This kid really made the, it cued the comeback. And I did. And um, that just built it onwards. My mom died uh, four years ago. Um, and I got to spend a lot of quality time with her. And like I said, my relationship with her was wonderful because when the chips were down, she never gave up on me. She was my number one fan. And I'm pretty sure like my brothers and sisters always say, like, they like me way better this way than the old way. Um, when I took my 10-year recovery medallion um, on a cold, my, my sobriety date, January 3rd, 2004. So in 2014, my sister um, came to that chip. Most of my, every one of my family members came. It was kind of a big deal. 10 years a big deal. And my sister said in front of everyone, I now forgive you. And I was like, Jesus, like Damn. she's been mad at me all this time. Like a new resentment. Um, but it tell, sort of tells you like, if anyone's on here and you're struggling, like there's a way out of whatever shit you're feeling. And that goes with the mental health piece. Like you don't have to live like a schnook. And I really did for a long, long time. Um, and I think that, I don't think I'm positive. The life I have today, um, and, you know, the wheel's turning. I've lost both my parents. I've been married and divorced. I, I Probably one of the finest relationships I have is with my ex-wife, which is, again, the growth I've had as a human being. I was a real piece of shit before. And everything was self-centered and low self-esteem is the calling cards of an addict. That's where you're starting from. So all those women out there that want to meet a guy and maybe they can change him, huh, hold on, buckle up because you're not. And he's going to continue to be a piece of shit. But I had to find a way that, um, you know, for me, the way through it um, was through it, not around it. I've been going around a bad issue since I was a child. So you help you help athletes, actors, yeah. actresses, oh, yeah. everybody. I mean, most of it's, you know, I'm kept very quiet of what I do. I'm in public, but, um, you know, it's funny when I'm associated, someone sees me, I'm like, dude, we're going to public. People are going to put this together. And usually the ones that are cool about it, they're like, yeah, it's fine. So you Other have all these different here. people. What yeah. would you say or tell me and Sarah, what's the, hard, what's the hardest addiction to crack? Uh, it, Gambling. Gambling. Gambling's the most dangerous. Wow. Um, alcohol and drugs, you know, I, I, not, they're, all, they're all progressive. And let me, it's important to tell your listeners and your people out there, process addiction, guys, is what you don't think you're addicted to. Um, so we all think of alcohol and drugs. Process addiction. And Sarah, perk up. Emma, this is for you. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong with this man? Um, gambling. Sex. Porn. Sex and porn, two different ones. Shopping. Um, gaming. Uh, eating. These are all process addictions. Um, and the process addiction, your brain delivers norepinephrine in it. It's, it's a drug that you make, it's made inside. So, you know, when the, the ritualistic drinking, oh God, I can't wait to get home. That first glass of wine, blah, 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 it's going to feel great. Or for me, it was like, I'd be, the cocaine dealer had been called and I had to go to the bathroom. It's like Pavlov's dog, oh, the baby laxative's coming. And then you get your shit. But that strong process is the, the charge. Oh yeah, God, oh, that feeling, that discharge. You get it from shopping. You get it from gambling. You get it from gaming. You get it from people. Codependency, like love addiction. Like, how many people do you know that are in terrible relationships? Are like, fuck. Why are you putting yourself through this? Because like, I'm a love addict, and it really right. Is and and again, it's if anything, like, start becoming aware of that and keenly aware. Like, I had never known what a codependent was, which we all have our own versions of it, and I'm powerless over people, places, and things, and telling people that like oh i'm running my life and i know what i'm doing and most of them not um most of us have some stuff that we need to deal with 
And it's kind of crazy. Like we all take showers or we get our hair cut or, you know, we take care of ourselves. And when you ask someone what they're doing for their psychological self, oh, it's a self-care day, you know, bullshit, you know, how much does that matter? How much is sleep factored into your mental health? Like how much do you really take care of yourself? Um, I'm guilty of the fact that when I'm going through something, I work harder. That's really, and I'm, I'm sober 18 and a half years and I've been therapized and continue to do therapy. But imagine if you bought a home and you had, you know, your lawn and you cut it once. How would your lawn look after a few years? Look like shit if you didn't maintain you know, we, uh, I moved into my house and uh, nobody's doing the laundry. Uh, nobody's doing the dishes. And hey, not to cut you off, that's why uh, that's a that's a great segue because uh, we had a question in here. They said, "How often do you go to therapy for maintenance, or or how how does you how do you reflect on your thoughts? Is it a is it a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Daily. Um, you know, I'm running a program. I'm in a twelve step group, which I've been for years. It's not homework." Uh, 12-step there is not therapy. It's a fellowship. So you go there to hang out with like-minded people. I had my home group last night, and there was a guy that was his first meeting there, but he knew me. And I, like some of the guys, it's, I'm from Montreal, so a really good time. But he called me this morning. He said, fuck, man, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. That was a lot of fun. There was a lot of laughs. There was a lot of introspective stuff. And I said, that's really what it's about. That is not therapy. That is, I, I try and tell people like, oh, I went to AA, that's my therapy. No, 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 no. Therapy is getting a therapist and starting to do some of the work and learn about yourselves. Learn about shit that you don't think bothered you. Or like if you're constantly reliving a, a, a resentment, like there's a fucking problem that you can't process sort of stuff. Here, here, here's, so, here's another question right there on the screen. Um, what am I looking at? Right there on the screen. Do you see that question? No, I can't. Could you ask him what could should a family member do to get someone to get help our interventions a good start someone that refuses to see if that's exactly what i do problem doesn't care you bring people together a group of people let's say so he's got a, someone in his family's fucked up so there's a family dynamic here and again the american medical association in 1956 that addiction was driven by three things a complicated family diet or you're born with a biochemical problem in your brain that's the genetic part and then it's driven by your family dynamic, your community, who you're hanging out with, and your exposure. And what happens when you have a loved one and like you're all seeing it and you talk about it and then he comes in the room, okay, he's here. That sweeping it under the carpet or the refusal to address the elephant in the room could lead to someone, all addictions are progressive. If you do not take care of it, it's gonna get worse. Um, so when you do that, as you call an interventionist, there are many people that can do this, get an interventionist, they should have a conversation with you and say, this is what it looks like. They bring a group of the people together. I'm a Johnson model interventionist. This is exactly what I'm telling you. We do bring a few people together. We create this mandate. And the mandate is like on that day, the brother, sister, boyfriend, husband, whatever, we're all going to say, hey, man, this is spawned out of love and concern. We're not mad at you. They often turn in, when the family does it without an interventionist, it turns into a fucking fight, all right? That's what I would do. Like, oh, yeah. Turns into a fight, and then fuck you, fuck off, and the guy <laughs> leaves, and nothing gets done. Three months later, we go, well, we're not going to do that again. That was good. We call in a pro, that fight doesn't happen. I've never raised my voice in an intervention. I've done this over 860 times, all right? I've never uh -oh. raised my voice in and people are yelling at me, like, if I'm not called a cocksucker or a motherfucker in the first two minutes, I'm not doing my job most time. Like, who the fuck are you? 
And I'll say, like, better question is, why am I here? Um, you know, and I can sort of bring some levity to it. It's a, it's a high, it's not meant for everyone. I train lots of people. I'm a, I train people how to do this. And everyone thinks, ah, oh, it's going to be a breeze. And then you can see them before you're about to breach into the place. They're like, holy shit, man, this is really happening. And it's coming at you quick. I love to, you know, that scene of uh, one of my employees, Rick uh, Ricardo, he's a good kid. And I helped him five years ago. He was a stranger to me. His sister works at a coffee shop. And I went and got this guy help. And then when he came out of treatment, he didn't know what to do. And he became like my dog sitter at my house. And now he's working in my business. But he always says, like, when he sees uh, Apocalypse Now, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. He goes, Bob, you walk into these rooms. Like, it's crazy. And you're just, well, let's go right through this, man. It's no problem. It's great. Let's have some fun. Let's do this. Let's change the way this is happening. So that's the job. And, like, families, if you don't address the elephant in the room, it will get worse. There will be more jackpots. There will be more bad behavior. There will be more lost weekends or lost family events. And it has to be addressed. If you don't, I'm sorry to tell you, um, it, it's it, 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 it's a really scary thing. Addiction is crazy. During the uh, pandemic in America, last year, the, uh, some of the stuff came out, the statistics, more people died from alcoholism than from COVID, which is crazy. That's uh, because everybody had to homeschool their kids. Homeschool their kids and they're at home. <laughs> what happened was, if you had ordinarily like de-stressors i'm going to the club or i'm going to hang out with the boys right. at the bar and stuff and then we were all living with each other and we got to see a front row seat to a lot of dysfunction mm-hmm. and ultimately a lot of pain and suffering and rehabs were full they're still full like there's still places that are like i gotta set things up detoxes are like yeah we can't take it for three days or four days sometimes longer because we don't have any beds it's wow. a serious problem and and it's not going away. Um, it's going to continue to con- to to grow. Um, we live in a time now where I'm I'm watching the groundswell. And I told just to JB, the fucking kids that are gaming that are being raised playing these games and Second Life, their rehabs popping up all over the place. And just work with people that play game addiction, which is just the same difference of drinking. Like it's negative wow. in your life, and we're at a point where we're we're at a crossroads for this, and like. In the 70s and 80s, it was considered a moral failing to be an addict, you know? And now, look, these people are sick. I didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to become addicted to everything on site because I really am. I'm an all-dressed pizza of addiction. Sex, love, you name it, gambling. I got it all. But it, when I started to realize what the issue was, which was, okay, we, we, you know, when the evidence is laid out to you, it was like, check, please. Oh, you got me. I, I know what I got to do. I've known this for a while. But then how am I going to get better and how am I going to maintain getting better? Getting sober, one thing. Staying sober is a very different thing. And then like you get into this long-term recovery, which I'm in now, and it's pretty second nature to me. And it's a lot of fun. I, I've never, like, my nights out were pretty shitty. And I was so addicted at the end. Like, it was really solitary. I used in a solitary manner. I didn't want anyone to see me. And I had so much... Um, I had cerebral palsy almost when I drink because my you're, as you become worse, your alcohol and your your body starts to fail you. you, you your tolerance dis, dissipates, and I would be slurring after two drinks. You know, like yeah, okay, whatever, buddy, get the fuck away from me. And I wouldn't go out because I didn't. I wouldn't answer the phone. I didn't even answer the mailbox. Like I was scared of everything, and I had a job. 
and I didn't miss my work, but that's how fucked up I was, day in, day out. And I thought, I'm okay. I'm not going to be that bad. And I couldn't couldn't admit to any of it. But then um, we have, we're living in times now that it's not, you shouldn't be ashamed to go get help. And be honest, like go to a therapist and tell him the fucking truth. You don't have to lie to this guy. Tell him the truth. Tell him the whole truth. Not the unvarnished, give him the unvarnished version. I would go for years to therapists and our doctors. Oh, I don't feel well. You know why you don't feel well? Because you drink a fifth of fucking vodka. Every day. <laughs> feel good. Oh, the antidepressants you're taking and drinking on? Yeah, they're not going to work at all. Oh, yeah. Right. We'll give you some meds and benzos are gnarly, like Xanax or Valium or any of these. They will take the edge off and let you numb yourself to a point where you can't feel anything or show any of your real emotions. <sighs> Fortunately, it's a band in our gunshot wound. And these are, this is what we live in. We, you know, the substance is, uh, is a symptom. What you're taking is a symptom. The problem is you. Are you going to deal with it? Are you ready to deal with it? Watching JB's show, all these kids, a lot of these Juco kids come from really bad past problems and broken problems. And, you know, it's kind of sad. And JB, you've brought 27 to 29 people to the pros. And how many people, like you're offering them an education. and They're having a hard time breaking through that because they believe the carrot that's been dangled in front of them since they were fucking junior high is going to pay off. They don't know that most careers are less than four years. They don't know that most guys that make all this money are broke anyway. They end up on the wrong side of it. That's not talking. And I think that there's so much pain and suffering in this world that having the ability to make it through and then be able to, like, I can talk about the shit that would shame me before. I can tell people, like, dude, the busier you get at working better at you, this can't be the best version of you. This can't be it. If you think it is, it's not. Do you think, though, that people, it's easy, or not, well, I guess it's not easy to say, but do you think that people are so dissent, like, I I mean, it's hard to live in your reality, and I feel like people don't live in that reality anymore, so it's harder for them to look in the mirror. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's hard for anyone to look in the mirror. Do you think, like, Sarah, you, and I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of like being hypercritical to myself or a real another good parlor trick is instead of looking at your own shit, anyone around you, like you'll have like a group of friends and you'll like tear apart others to somehow make yourself feel better about you. You know, the water reaches its lowest level or it reaches wherever you bring it to. It's difficult for me to say, you know, when are people going to realize that the importance of self really self-care self-care isn't like oh, i took care of myself i went shopping yeah, it's not a pedicure no it's not <laughs> i'll be nice um it's more about that's treating and nobody gets out of this of our life without something happening to you you know i it's something you carry weight you know i always say like you pick up little shitty things and that can be when you were in junior high and you ask some girl to dance and she said like get the fuck away yeah from me. fuck off and that bothered you, and then you'll make up for it by either acting super aggressive or super, you know, impervious to something. Whereas the real person would be able to say, "Man, really sucked. Um, I've processed that. It really was. It was one bit of time." Some people will hold on to that one thing that happened to them as the launch pad to the rest of their life. You know, um, a lot of you know, I date. You know, how many men have you broken? Men? I dated a girl. She left me. Fuck her. 
I can't believe she left me. And then like you go on a date and you're an attractive woman and they're talking about their ex-girlfriend like she's dog shit. Your every red flag is up because you're right. like, what's wrong with this guy? Oh, for the rest of his life, everyone's meant to pay for a transgression that happened to him because he's unable to process it. And unfortunately, that is it. Like resentments are the number one things that lead people to addictive behavior. Hey, Bob, Bob, this is how we this is how we handle it, Bob. This is how we handle yeah. it right here. Uh, yes. That's but then that's a sex addiction. Yeah. No. Um, that's when when women leave, they cry. When men leave, they jack off. Uh, I have a lot to work a lot to work with with JB. It's pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, it's hey, hey, Bob, a question. A question. Yeah. What has been the most gratifying success story to date? I mean, you've helped so many people beat addiction. Uh, I'm curious to know, have you had a... A gratifying success story with someone else or has your personal story beating your own addiction been the most gratifying? Because that has to be a great accomplishment as well. And, and you can't help others without helping yourself yeah, first, right? You can't transmit something you haven't got. This is an interesting question. Thank you, JB. Um, I often feel when people say, oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. Um, and you're right. But... Thank you. I chose to live. Uh, thank you. I chose to like it's, it. To, it it didn't happen. I wish it could happen. Tell you, oh, at three months I could go into a meeting and I'm if I'm hearing some of the guys say, like, "Oh yeah, I got this. We're going to be okay." Like, dude, new. No, you got today. You need to continue to work this. You need to continue to do your part. Um, the thing that I find curious is that I often, um, you know, helping others. I can't save anyone's life, JB. I can show them how to save theirs. I cannot save anyone's. I, I went to a place, a pizza place near my house here today, and one of the cats in there came to the back, and this kid's wonderful. And his father is a bus driver in Montreal, and I don't know how he found me. And he came to me, and then I said, yeah, I can help. It's going to be up to him. And then I have, like, I sell this merchandise on my website that I, I have, like, a website that I help guys that need help or women that need help. I keep i've had success in my life and i've been able to help him this kid in particular was uh you know never would have been on and he's wonderfully sober he's got over a year and a half and he's got a life and he's just a good kid he's in great physical shape now and he was shooting heroin from 15 you know it was pretty shitty it looked pretty dark so when i leave there i got a smile on my face and i'm like motherfucker did it and most people do um I've had more than a few people that have died along the way, and that sucks. Um, I met a kid um, from Mowata, Louisiana, a good kid. I'll say his name. His name was Casey Leger from a small town, gay, and um, like a wonderful human being. And during COVID, unfortunately, we didn't have meetings. He lost that human contact, and he made a mistake, and on one night did something that killed him. And that fentanyl will kill you. It just takes one bad night. It's going to kill you. And... His father called me. I saw the phone. You know, it says where it's from. That 337 area in Mowater. And I knew when the phone rang, he's dead. And uh, the father thanked me for bringing his son back to him. And I felt, and I'm going to be emotional. I felt like, like fuck. Yeah. You know, it hurts me. And he was thanking me because I brought him back for a few, I had him for a year and a half, more than we thought we were going to have him. Yeah. I've had a few cases like that, and that sort of really drives home. And um, if you don't 
get control of this, it's going to kill you. It's go- And young people in particular, they're so much, you know, proper drug addict. But I look at the, some of the young people I'm dealing with now and the substances that they're willing to put into a syringe and put into their, like, dude, crazy. And it's Russian roulette. There's a hell of a lot more bullets in the chamber. Um, and it's frightening. And that you have a young one, you have a family member that's addicted and, you know, he dies. The rest of you feel that forever. All right. You're always going to have, there's going to be some sorrow and you're going to have to deal with that and process it. I can't imagine what it's like for some parents. I had a kid leave rehab the other day and I have to, the family said the mother's heart to me, I'm on the phone with this lady. She goes, you know, and I was able to get, I deployed a guy I know that I trained on the other side of the country. And he found this kid within 18 hours. We had him back in treatment. And the mother's forever grateful. And I'm like, I can't tell her how scared I am when when she calls me. I can't tell her how nervous I am, how precarious that can be the situation. So, you know, we're we're in an epidemic of this addiction. The crisis is... Substance abuse disorder is not going away. It's gotten worse. Um, I read some of the things. Well, alcohol is legal. Um, Sure. If it was invented today, it would never, ever be legal. It's so deadly, alcohol. And people don't realize that alcohol is really the biggest killer. We talk about fentanyl. Oh, my God, fentanyl is so dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous for the people that are most um, exposed or most, uh, you know, susceptible to that. But the guy, Johnny Sixpack, that buys it day in, day out over years. Um, I have another client of mine that the father found out that two girls are sober and the father found out he has sclerosis. So now he's stopping to drink. But I, and I said, I don't judge you. This, I had this conversation on Monday and I said, I don't judge you at all. But now, now the gun is loaded and it's right up against you. Like you don't have a choice. And he's like, no. And I said, and you, you're going to lose five years of your life. Like easy. If you don't take care of this, it's over a lot quicker than that. What's What's next for you? Are you Are you just going to keep fighting a good fight, or do you have another? Uh, you You have any other endeavors? Or, or I had I people ask me, "Oh, are you ever going to retire?" And like, my own office is like, "Man, the pace you keep." I don't know. I I there are times when I feel like just you know curling up and sleeping for six weeks, but um, no, I, that that'll go on. I'm working on a we're working on a pilot right now for Netflix. We've already been greenlit. That I'm going to take a look to sort of like this Anthony Bourdain of recovery and show people what it looks like in different parts of the world and how recovery looks like. And people do very different things on how to recover. North America, Canada, U.S., we really work the same way. Let's find an inpatient treatment facility, detox them, help them, educate them, and hopefully let them go out there. There's a wonderful um, organization in the United States that started in Boston called the Phoenix um, it's homeboy enterprises in Los Angeles. These are non-for-profit um, drop-in centers, gyms that offer all kinds of community. The opposite of addiction is connection, guys. And when you're connected into a community and you don't feel like you're dog shit all day long, you start to feel better about yourself. And that's how we can get to get people right. It's this solidarity. And, you know, the way our phones are and we're fucking, you walk into a, you get into an airport and everyone's doing this. So you go to a rock shore or a, fucking football game or whatever people have got their heads in their phone um this is a technology that moved 
into our lives, into our psychological lives, into our physical lives that we weren't ready for. If I told you in 2002 that we we're going to have a fucking computer that's more powerful than the space program, you would have said, get the fuck out of here. You know what you're talking about. But you see it now. They're driving our thoughts. They're driving our ability to understand what's right and wrong, what's false and what's made up and, um, you know, conspiracy. So I have a question. Then what is your take on the Britney Spears situation? Well, I think that she was taken, that receivership was done with good intentions in the beginner and then it turned bad. Like it, and and she's definitely got her right. issues. There's no doubt you can see. So it then, now, do you think she is crazy, or is this like an after effect of I think all she's of got the some issues that she should be addressing for sure? Um, but it should be up to her. She's a grown person, but we don't want to have another Whitney Houston. You don't want to have right. Amy Winehouse, and we'd all have a front row seat. We'd have a front row seat to saying, "Man, we all could see this happening. Why didn't? Why wasn't they able to get someone?" in there and then i look at my own struggles and say god i was lucky that my family gave a shit for me and they got an interventionist god i was happy that people cared enough to give me a second chance and god i was happy that you know i had all these things happen to me i'm not overly religious a lot of these 12 steps program are built on judeo-christian values uh you know turn my life and my will over the care of god as i understand him the interesting part is as i understand god god to me was good orderly direction but going back to Brittany, do I think she needs help? I think she does. And I think it's tragic. We've all watched this girl grow up from a teenager singing, what was her, Hit Me Baby One More Time. Yep. <laughs> where and some lurid post and some sadness. I always look at people's eyes and see sad eyes. And I see sad eyes in someone that has everything and nothing at the same time, which is the worst right. kind for me. The people that have everything and nothing at the same time, that's it. The people that had something lost it, tragic. And men that are under five foot eight inches tall, difficult to deal with. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, but they're still in the Napoleonic uh, thing. But anyone can recover if they have the capacity to be honest as the truth. If I can get, uh, cut the crap up. What am I telling myself? It's a lie. I have to be able to look at some hard truths about the way I am in this world and the way the world has either beaten me or what I perceive to be beaten on. And if I can rise up past this perception of what's happened to me, like the world is not out of place. Traffic is going to move. If we can allow ourselves to get through it and be calm and be gracious to one another. Like, I don't give a shit what your political beliefs are. I don't give a shit what you, pink, blue, I don't care. Um, I just want to be decent to people and try and do that. And when I haven't been decent, you know, when you open the door for someone and they don't say thank you. Well, that's my fucking ego, because now I've done something, but I, did I want to get paid for that? When I do something and have no expectation of being paid back, that is the fucking person I need to be. You know? Hey, yeah. Sarah, I took you out for dinner. You better put out, you know? <laughs> what? You know? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, and, Right. You know, and People like, don't do anything anymore without a reward. Yeah. And I'd like to do things that help a stranger for the greater good and not even be worried about it. It's just where you're supposed to be. Like, go ahead and do something nice and don't don't tell anyone about it. Just do it. Right. Move on with your day. If every person listening to this show does that once today, we will have succeeded. But we all want to be known. Like, remember the Black Lives Matter and like all these influencers are going out and they're taking pictures. Fuck off. All right. You don't have no idea. JB knows what it's like to go to that. But 
is this really what we're doing? And I think the Kardashians have put us back a thousand years with posing and pictures and this. Like, yes. that I have people, I have a blue verified mark and people take me seriously. Absolutely. Crazy. Makes no mm -hmm. sense. I am the best person and the best version of me. And on days I wake up, you wouldn't know I had 15 minutes of sobriety, let alone 18 and a half years because my ego can get in the way. I can have let the day get away from me and I'm nowhere near perfect. I'm trying to do this progress, not perfection thing. But I know I've had my, the, the best days are still in front of me. I'm a positive person. And this was not how I spoke. Everything sucked. Everything was a chore. Everything was a drag. That's how I spoke before. And mm -hmm. while I was so self-centered and I was full of fear and self-centered and low self-esteem, and that's where an addict starts from. And if he gets good at being himself, he starts to laugh at it a bit and realizes <laughs> I get a little better at being me. Hey, if anybody in the chat uh, likes to catch, uh, ask, ask, ask Bob a question, I'll, I'll put the link right here in the chat. A lot of you guys have a lot of questions. I'm going to put the link in. You can call in, ask him a question before he gets out of here. I know he's a busy man. Um, is there anywhere to donate? They're asking. Um, if you go to my hired sobriety uh, dot com and you go to the shop, if you buy any of the clothing and swag, and that's just about to change to a much more working on a much more robust program. What is the uh, website? HiredSobriety.com. That's my business. Hired my Sobriety. HiredSobriety.com. And Hired Sobriety is interventions, case management, and sober companioning and stuff like that. It's on the ticker, everybody. His website will be on the ticker right below here. There you are. And then you can, if, if you buy any of that clothes, it'll go to help people. I work with a place called The Oaks, um, which is in, um, God, God, I'm drawing a blank. It's in South Carolina. It's in... It, it, it's run by two of the coolest cats I know. Treatment for men, men and women. Uh, for $3,500, they'll take you for a six-week stay. That's nothing. You, um, you can stay for you four months. Uh, and I've been there. They had me speak there in the early June. I went to a commencement. Every Friday, people graduate and they move into the world again. And the energy level of hope and kindness and coolness was off the charts. I felt so absolutely blessed being there and being able to do, to, to live in this, in this um, unbelievably good uh, goodness of people. And these are guys that are doing it with no fanfare. It is what uh, it is. It is, it is, it is pretty Spartan. Um, it's funny. You find it, you're flying to the Spartanville airport and it is in Greenwood, South Carolina. It's shocking to see what they do. The Oaks, and it's shocking how they're changing the trajectory of men that don't have the opportunity, and women that don't have big money to get help. And I like helping these guys out because they do great work. Um, and then some of us, like I'd hate to, when, when people go to treatment and like, I went in kicking and screaming. I went in there, I'm going to be frank. I went into treatment going, I kicked my family off my back. That's what I need to do. I got to get these people off my back. I'll go there, pretend for a few days. And it was really difficult for me to say, I'm never going to drink again. And I, my relationship with alcohol, alcohol had beaten the living shit out of me. But for some reason, I wanted to have the capacity to still have a little drinky poo here and there. And I would drive, drive in. Montreal has a lot of terraces in the summer and people are drinking. And I was like, into my second year. And I was like, maybe one day I'll be able to have a little glass of wine with my lady. And I remember telling my sponsor that he's like, you never drank like a lady in your life. You're a fucking dog. Right. That's how you behave. <laughs> and there's this, you, you figure, well, I've been good for a while. I've been able to show you, even though 
all of this unbelievable evidence shows how much my life has improved. I want to pretend that somehow I can, I, I don't feel I'm abnormal. I feel I've been given the gift, the gift of sobriety and keeping it and maintaining it and helping other people do it too. Because like I said, I can't save anyone's life. I can show you how to do it. And we got a caller for you. Uh, Wido, he's a, he's a regular. He's actually on the show on Wednesdays. Wido from Florida. Uh, Wido, what up? You got a question? Yes, sir. Good to meet you, sir. I appreciate you taking this. I just wanted to ask. Uh, I got two, if you don't mind. No, when sir. you got sober, did your dreams get more vivid? Did anything happen to your dreams once you get sober? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the, fir- the worst dreams you're going to have are the ones when you, uh, in my first year, I remember like waking up, <gasps> I bought a bag of Coke and this and that, and I wake up and like, everything's perfect in my apartment. And I was like, oh, that didn't happen. But my dreams became a lot more vivid, um, especially after the detox process. I had been drinking hard and using drugs since I was, you know, 15. And I was, my 39th birthday was in rehab. My birthday's in February and I got sober in January. Um, I came into recovery in January. I tell people it took me probably two years to draw a real sober breath, which meant like that process. But the dreams, here's what's interesting. My dreams became more vivid. And in my mind's eye, if you had told me, what will I look like in five years if I remain sober? And where I was at was so much better. And life will continue to happen to all of us here. Bad things are going to happen. Opportunities for you to be a bigger person are going to happen. Or you're going to fucking fall back and become a shitty little insular you know, fear run person, or you're going to have like something bad happen to you and you're not going to fucking lower yourself. You're going to say, look, I'm really sorry. Or when you're wrong, you promptly admit it. But in my dreams, I can't even begin to tell you how much better it was than what I thought it was going to be. Um, and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was something beyond it was given to me by staying and maintaining my abstinence and my recovery. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's last what- one <clears throat> before I get out. So, I've dealt with this my whole life. Um, I've kind of battled uh, with my dad, who is a very smart person, uh, works at NASA, but he likes to drink a little bit. And I never understood it as a kid. I'd legit ask him, do you drink because of the taste or the effect? I didn't know. And they couldn't really answer it to me. So, And I've, I've fought this battle my whole entire life. And, and for a professional, I just want to know, when I get to the moments when I was living with him and he would say, you know, what am I doing wrong? I had to, and I don't want to know if, if you think this is smart or where I should go with here. I had to change my response because technically you're not doing anything wrong. It's a legal substance. You bought it. You own the house. You make great money. We're provided for. You don't beat your, your wife. You don't hit me. Like we're, You're doing nothing wrong. I had to change my response to you're doing nothing wrong, Dad. You're doing something that I don't like. You're doing right. something that hurts me. And so is it important to word when you're talking to an addict, meaning yeah. love, but being f- strong. You can be, I want you to like, there's a book called Codependent No More. I, uh, <laughs> it's kind of important to read that, but listen, if I, and there are how many kids that are adult children of alcoholics, you don't have to be, have live in a van down by the river or drink out of a paper bag to be an, an alcoholic. His behaviors when he drank were clearly affecting you to the point where it's like, "Ah, I don't like this version of my dad. He's having a few. Um, The person, you you have to release them with love and say, Dad, I love you. This is your choice. And you're right. I live in your house. You you need to be respectful to it. 
Um, when you're trying to help someone that has a drinking problem and they don't necessarily see it, you know, oh, that's not a big deal. Okay, could you stop for three months? That would be crazy. Or um, I've had people do like they do a dry January and then like on February 1st, they're fucking at it hard. And even though they felt better, their sleep became better, everything helped, they still want to go back to the drinking. That's the abnormal drinker in us. And we, I, I, I did not know how poorly I felt until I stopped. Um, and then I started to start seeing a lot more in it. And then stopping is part of it, but alcohol is the medicine. Like yeah. I'm not feeling well and I like to drink because it takes the edge off where right? I like to reward myself with something that's abnormal drinking. You don't hear someone say, yeah, I really want to, I, 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 I really want to eat uh, fish tonight because I feel like I, that's a bad example. I want to be able to not have to use something to make me soothe me. The moment I'm using something to soothe me, eh, I don't necessarily feel good. I like to go for a nice walk or ride my motorcycles or do that and completely in my right mind. And that's the experience I have. I know he's a genius. He's a genius, you know, but when he drinks, he's a melted version of himself. And his, you know, sometimes I'll get through to him. We'll cry. He'll get on that moment and he'll see what I'm talking about. Next day, he forgets it. But th- what he says, and I want to know what you deal with this, is it's too late for me, son. That's, it's uh, too late for me. And that's what I hate the most because I feel like it's my job late. to save him. Never too late. Never too late. I don't care who you are. That guy with sclerosis the other day, and I was having a conversation with him, and he said, I said, well, now the gun's up to your head. And he said, I feel guilt and shame. That is really convenient when you can – it's really convenient when you can say it's too late. Um, it. it it, it it's driving there. I'd love like you take my number afterwards. I'd love to have a conversation with your dad. It's not out of love and get, hate. It's about, Hey man. And have him go to see the addiction therapist is so much different than another therapist. He'll have really good insights and no, there's no anger, but like if it's doing and your dad thinks it's too late, something happened to your dad when he was younger, he can be the smartest man in the world, but something happened to him, something that's unpleasant and something that he feels the need to use the crutch of alcohol to numb it. And it's groundhog day, rinse, wash, repeat. We keep doing the same day over and over again and love him and tell him, I love you no matter what, but I know there's help for you, dad. And no, it's not too late and we can help this. That's how you need to address it to me. That's what I would do and have a really good conversation with like, where do you live? What part of the world are you in? I'm in Florida, Florida, fourth generation. Which part? Fourth generation Floridian, South Florida, Port St. Lucie area. Okay. So, dude, there's plenty of good resources. You're right in that. You're in one of the best places, like, uh, to get some good help. And go see him. Like, say, Dad, we're going to go to a therapist together. Like, make it a family therapy thing. But we're going to go and say, like, I love my dad. It's sort of that. It's never too late, though. I Like, it's only too late when you put the sand on the box. But there is a way through this. And become really meaningful in this conversation. I can name you. I have a list of families. I came in to do one person and ended up doing everyone. I was like three families where six people have come into recovery and it's nuts. And they fucking hated each other at one point. And there he's like, I remember Christmas last year, the guy said like, do you know how insane it is? And I just had Christmas, my ex-wife and my kids and we worked at each other's throat and we're respectful to each other. There's yeah. plenty of that. You know, so get- is that your high now? Huh? Being able to affect the people and seeing the, the change, is that what gets you? I, your I, mean, yeah, I just it really makes me happy to know that you can. I, I just it's a really good narrative when people say, yeah, 
I'm too late for me. Uh, maybe the next generation will be okay. That's a cop out. That's come on, buddy. It's never too late. You can stop this. You know, I appreciate and that. he'll have an effective life. He's probably coming into his retirement. He's got all this great things. You're going to have kids hopefully one day, or he's going to have grandkids. He should be present for all that and have watch his back nine and the golden years of his life be really pleasant as opposed to, cause I'm telling you, it's getting worse. You've seen it. You've seen it over the years and it's getting worse a little bit. Oh yeah. And it's getting worse. <clears throat> Much worse. Progressing. That's the shitty part. But like, tell him you love him and hold his hand and say, dad, it's cool, man. We can talk about this. If you don't want to, I'll respect you. And, yeah. and he's from the old school era. And I think JB, I always ask JB stuff because I think yeah. my dad fell in. His dad was way harder on him than he is me. So it's kind of yeah. like, that's where I hear him say, I'm t it's too late for me, son. Yeah, I'm still in that era and I don't know how to change it. Like, just like you never about the hugs, never a bunch of love till later on in life. And I didn't know any different, but I'm just trying to break the stigma, break the. Yeah. And that cycle has it. to be broken, guys. Let's not fool ourselves. That cycle can be broken and it must be if you want to have that life. Because it drinking's really insidious because, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, so no good fatty liver. And next thing you know, well, I'm, I'm taking loads of antacid pills because oh, i've got a heartburn reflux no dude that's the line of your stomach starting to get corroded often happens here in the esophagus it starts to bleed and tear and then the next thing it's all of this giant wheel you're drinking a fucking solvent that's what alcohol is jb's like oh no and then you don't uh, eat <laughs> and then it's strictly just a beer solvent. yeah and it's everything but slapdick whiskey is the solvent there we yeah. go rep that shit <laughs> <laughs> Plastic is the way through. And I'm, guys, there are normal drinkers. There are people that it, they have a couple like, fuck, when I would look at someone, like, you're going to leave that glass on the table? Like, fucking everything has to be finished. Even the shit with, oh, I was like real degenerate, even the stuff with a cigarette butt in it. I, that's not so bad. I've, how many times have I taken oh, a cigarette bottle with a beer with a cigarette in it? Oh, oh you know? Shit. And that was me, uh, was my narrative. And like, I'm much more. You know, I have a brother that's in recovery and he's like a well-known disc jockey. He's been on the radio forever in, in in Montreal. He's a rock jock and his radio name's Bad Pete. And Pete would get drunk and he'd be like, you owe me. And people thought, oh, it was really funny. I was like, fuck, he's not joking. <laughs> he believes like he's entitled to all this stuff. Now he's recovered and he got sober because of his kids. It certainly wasn't his brother, the great interventionist. It was because his kids said, dad, it ain't fun anymore. It's awful to watch you decompensate. And that's his children drove the change in him. And he is so grateful because he said, like, I owe it to them. He, they're right. Like, if they're seeing it in me, who's not going to tell me the truth but my kids? So that's the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Wido, I'll get you his number, Wido, and uh, I'll get yeah, it to definitely. you. Yeah, definitely. All right, yeah. definitely. Thanks for the call. Always. Sarah, right. do you have any questions for me? Oh boy. Come on. I mean Hold on, hold on one second, Sarah. I got one more caller who's a recovered. He's recovering. He wants to talk to you. He wants to ask a question real quick. Josh, what up? Hey, what's up? What's up? How you guys doing? Good, good. Um first off, I want to say thank you uh for shedding light on uh something I don't think is talked about enough. Um I was addicted to pain pills. Um, and as of the 30th of September, I'll three, I'll be three years sober. Good. Congratulations, um, buddy. Appreciate it. And I think it, you know, with me, at least it started, I don't know if you've, uh, seen the, the series dope stick. Yeah. Dope stick. Yeah. 
So that, I mean, that was a similar situation that happened to me. I uh, broke my ankle at 14, and basically that's when I first got introduced to pain pills. Um, basically, throughout the next whatever seven, eight years, uh, continuously had to re up, re up, re up, and kind of built that tolerance. Um, but my question to you is, my my first question to you is. Um, with all the, you know, the patients that you've seen, what is the biggest um, reason for addiction, um, in your opinion? Like, what, what what's the the common, uh, tri- like, thread, I guess? It's funny. I, I, I took care of a professional athlete, and I went and picked him up by the detox, and I was taking him to another, to a stage, the next stage of his rehab. And he was so fucked up from the detox, from alcohol, and he'd been on pain medication but he was really messed up like he he was barely shuffling his feet he's you know obviously still active player and he said i never thought i was a drug addict before today (laughs) i said what is it he said like i always thought that i was taking this medication and stuff so you're asking me what's the number one driver and i'd say it's it's myself and for me it was like low-grade trauma um that i hadn't addressed and i started having this shitty narrative in my mind that I'm not good enough and nobody will take me seriously. So then as soon as I started to drink, my behavior sort of, I wanted you to believe I was this fucking guy. This guy's a douchebag, by the way, but I wanted you to believe I was this guy, the international man of mystery. I'll drink now, take that pill now, and I'll ask questions later. I tried to build this fake persona on who I was. And I think a lot of the driving is feeling shitty about ourselves and if not, if it's a depression or anxiety, booze is a pretty good medicator. I'm going to feel better. I feel like a million bucks about that fire in my body. There's a whole bunch of drivers, but a lot of it looks and sounds like low self-esteem and being self-centered and not wanting to look at the shit that bothers you. And if I had known when I was 18 that I could have talked about the stuff that made me insecure and been honest with someone, I didn't have the capacity. Um, that would have changed the direction of which I was going. Like, I like being me, this person, yeah. what it was supposed to be. I love being this guy. It was very difficult for me to understand that. It was almost frightening as a grown man. It sounds like a, the shit that you do an after-school special about, like this melody of, who am I? I don't know who I am. I was looking in the mirror in rehab. I felt like, you know. And um, you took pain medication because you were in pain. And how quickly, like, the government didn't protect us. The FDA did not protect you. I mean, dope sick's all about the fact that this one family was able to drive that oxycodone. Oh, it's not habit forming. Most addictive substance on earth. And that doctor, it's so well done, dope sick. Like Michael Keaton is fantastic in that. And he's like people he's known his whole life, and he is the drug dealer. Macklemore's song. My drug dealer was a doctor. It is the truth. And Oh, your kid doesn't feel he's got anxiety. Let's give him some Xanax. Oh, you got to wake up in the morning. We need to give him some Adderall because, you know, he needs to come up, down. We're, we're shifting. And pharmacology is so much driven into our lives. We don't talk about the fact, hey, I'm drinking water out of a plastic bottle and all the shitty stuff in that substance is driving my hormone level down and it's making me feel less than. And I'm eating a piss poor diet because that's the most readily available stuff. And all of these driving factors, like this is a multi-pronged attack at you. But ultimately they come to, let's make some good decisions and let's be good with ourselves. That comes with removing my ego from most of the way I talk and the way I am, uh, which is daunting and scary. 
Um, and then ultimately, like I remember being in rehab going, this can't be the best I can do. This, I cannot believe I've driven myself into this fucking mediocrity because of my addiction, because of my inability to listen to people. All the people that love you tell you the truth. You fucking hate them when they're telling you the truth. Your friends that tell you the truth are the ones you like because they don't tell you anything and they let you be sick and let you be mediocre. I think it's important that you understand that. And you understand that I put, I remember thinking to myself, I am not, the shit that happened to me, I drove myself, I painted myself into this fucking corner. And it is yep. now I'm given the opportunity to fix this by going to rehab. Doesn't matter if it's the best rehab or the worst rehab, I become absent and start working at being better at being me. God, do I sound okay, GB? I think I'm talking too much. And I no, want to man, you're good. Hey, usually sober. the guests are on 30 minutes, man. You're fucking hour and 20 minutes, and it's like well, you're, you're, still, you're having church in here, man. I am, but I mean, like, you know what it's like to be sober, and you go into, like, I go to my room. It doesn't matter where I'm at, I, and I'm an AA guy. I'll be, I'm not supposed to promote it, but I'm an AA guy, even though I'm a drug addict, all right? Um, no matter where I go, I hear like-minded people and you kind of see it and you know there's the people in AA that are really into God there's people in AA are very rigid there's some people that are loose or something but it's fucking real and it feels better for me I go there an hour I've had a bad day I don't want to go I go to the meeting it's the fucking most beneficial meeting I've ever been to in my life I leave there going you know what I'm not the center of the universe I need to be better at being me how can I help and not just help another addict get better like just be a helpful person yeah. JB, we need you in that room. You can be like, you're not fucking special. Yeah. Yeah. We want oh, a fucking yeah. unicorn. Get up. <laughs> but Me and Bob really, together. Truly, I'm so grateful that I had like the old school guys that I met that are gone now. One of the guys that helped me is like his sponsor was Bill W. Bill W. was the founder of uh, AA guys, Bill W. and Dr. Bob. And this guy was fucking hard and loving like the toughest motherfucker i've ever met also the kindest motherfucker i've ever met he was so absolutely down the center of the road you knew which way he was going he didn't have an opinion on anything he just said you want to get better because i got a way and i can show you and i'm happy to do it and watch this go and you've been at it for three years how many people have you seen rise it's insane people yep. that come in you're like this guy's not going to live till 6 p.m and three years later, they have this beautiful life, and they're full, and they're life full, and they're like, and life happens to them. Like shitty things happen. I had the IRS, and fucking everything was coming out. I got arrested in my first year for shit I had done eight years earlier, and I, I had wrong, I had screwed American Airlines out of a lot of money. I had done all kinds of stupid shit, and it came home to fester in my first year. You know what I didn't do? I didn't go out and drink. I didn't go out and use. Uh, there was music to be faced, and I was going to face it. And I was going to face it straight up. Yep, I did it. I drank the fucking bang wa bong water. I did this. And what's my punishment? What do I need to do? How can I correct it? And I'm going to be fucking present, and I'm going to do what needs to be done. That happened to me as a result of being sober. That did not happen to me. I would have run, hid, drank, fucking anything over that. Oh, I don't want to deal with it. It's not my fault. Bullshit. Present and accounted for. That's what happened when I got sober. No doubt. Yep. Josh, you got another question? I think the last last thing I got, you know, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, when, when you're when you're in that stage, you know, you see a lot of shitty people and, you, you know, it's a lot of dark, shady shit going on. Um, but when you get to that point, how like, 
you know, and I don't know if you have an answer for this, but how, how do we bring attention to this to where those, I mean, the reason why I didn't say anything for so long and kind of kept it to myself and kind of let it basically drag me into that hole is because I, I was one embarrassed and I didn't want to ruin my family's reputation. You know, I didn't want to embarrass my parents. I didn't want to make our fam family look bad, but you know, there's so many people who are suffering from, uh, you know, different types of addiction. But I feel like a lot of us are afraid to say something about our addiction and blame it on mental health. Um, and I'm not dual, sure. A dual diagnosis. I had been told three times that I was bipolar. Um, turns out when you go four or five days without sleep and uh, you're drinking and using cocaine that uh, you do have some pretty bad behaviors and stuff. But I, much like you, was ashamed. And I was like, what do people think? Holy shit, what do you think? And then like, I remember thinking, my brother said, like, you could see it from space, you had a problem. Like, nobody's surprised yeah. here. Yeah. And the, the, the narrative for addiction changed in the time I've been in, in the 18 years, um, it is okay, you know, we're supposed to ask for help and we're not supposed to hold it back. And I was duly addicted. I had low grade depression most of my life. And um, a lot of that was because I was drinking liquor that is a suppressant that makes you depressed every day. Uh, I took medication that you're not supposed to drink with and drank with it every day. So I'm with you, it was really scary. And then after a while I realized, you know what? Fucking, first of all, how many people do you know I don't know where you live, but how many people do you know in the room? <laughs> Lots. You can't. Yep. You hung out with people that either get better or they fucking die. And yep. it's no longer a moral failing, guys. It is It is a disease. And if someone has a problem with you, it's really interesting because I just went through prostate cancer. I didn't go public with it. But I can tell you that people treat you when you got cancer. Fuck it. Oh, you poor bastard. Is there anything I can do? Oh, you're an addict? Like somehow I made the choice. You did not choose to have this addiction, neither did I. Just like I didn't choose to have cancer. We look at it very differently. And mm -hmm. you need to understand that I, I'm i loud and proud about my recovery. You have a lot to be proud for. You took what no. was killing you and you, you vindicated yourself and you've improved the way you are. That should be applauded. And the sooner, the, you have no idea by being open about your recovery who you can help. People come up to you and say, hey, man, thank you for sharing that shit with me. Oh, yeah. I'm on, my mom, she went with me and she was like, you know what, fuck it. It's part of your story now. You know, it's yeah. nothing to hide. Like, it's just another, you know, part chapter in your in your book. Like, just, yeah. you know, be be real. Like, yeah. nobody, you can't be, be fake and fake around, the, you know, around no. the bushes. And so. And the yeah. toughest challenges are going to make you the best. Like, they're going to make you, the, you know, you you got you to gotta live through stuff. I've lived through some pretty shitty stuff. And I look back at it today and like my mom and dad dying, which was going to happen. I remember my mom, you know, I'm not going to live to be 150 years old. My both my parents were, my dad was 88, my mom was 86. They had great and fantastic lives, my family. Um, I can tell you they both went into their next lives knowing little Bobby Mary had corrected the ship. He had righted the ship. He was going to be okay. That meant a lot to them. It meant a whole bunch for them to have an understanding that they didn't have to worry about me. I can't imagine if they had died and I'd been the same fucking miserable sack of shit I'd been most of my life. They would have been yeah. really disappointed. 
So like, I don't have any problem. Anyone that has a problem with me being an alcoholic or an addict and I'm going to hold it against them in 18 and a half years in, that's their problem. It's not mine. I'm very happy to be recovered. And anyone, I mean anyone that asks me for any type of insight, I'll happily tell them my story. And that was it. Like prior to this, part of the anonymous thing worked against us because there's I don't know how many millions of people that are in long-term sobriety that don't go to 12-step groups and stuff. But if we all said, hey, I'm one of them, I have that problem. We change this shit overnight. We have yeah. funding. We have a more open way of looking at it. And we start helping each other. And like it's the only place in the world, like uh, the Muslim, the Jew, the Christian, the you know agnostic, whatever. In that room, we're just fucking alcoholics and addicts. Nobody cares. And we all get along. It's shocking to me how well we get along in there. Because we do. I've never, like, we could put, uh, the laughter I had last night in the basement of my home parish in the West Island, where I never went to church once in my life, the laughter with all these different people was fantastic. And like I said, it was one guy's first meeting who kind of, I know his girlfriend, and he came up to me and he said, man, that was amazing. I feel like I want to do this again. Like, cool. That's what it's supposed to do. And he didn't feel, he was so nervous coming. You remember it was like the first time you went, it was fucking frightening. Who's going to know me? Uh, I remember going up and I could barely get the words. Of my well, but I couldn't even say it. And it was who I was. I didn't have to be ashamed of it anymore. And I needed to say, I'm going to get better. And I knew I could if I did. But, you know, I, I knew I could get better. The moment I got abstinent, the moment I started working in a positive way, and the moment I stopped, A, taking myself so seriously, and B, took a long, hard look at where my fault was and a lot of the shit that I, my belief system was fucked up. The way I looked at people was fucked up. I was angry at people that had no idea I was even angry at, angry at them. Like it was stupid the way I was living. And I, this gave me an opportunity to not have it. You know, it's so real right now the way I live. Anyway, no I doubt. feel Man, I appreciate you, Josh. It's almost yeah. time to get out of here. I got to get this man. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm going to get out of here. Right, Thank brother, you again, fellas, for shedding light on it. Thanks, man. Bob, man, it's been a great session brother i appreciate you coming on this long man shit everybody's loving the chat and uh right. i gotta get you back on man and uh hook up with you I'm, your, and, uh, I'm the interventionist of uh of record now for the coach jb show hell yeah i gotta i'm gonna, I'm gonna put your shit all over my show it's fucking crazy um does it not feel like you've known me for 100 years oh I, yeah i said that uh, that night especially you after you had my whiskey yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. 18 and a half years, what did I do? I said, fuck me. It's in, I spit it out. I went like, ah, God, I'm going to have to take a beginner chip. Oh, I felt shitty, me. man. I felt bad. I was like, God Thank damn it. He kept giving us fucking straws. I don't yes. suck on a round cylindrical objects. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Bob, I appreciate you, man. And uh, uh, Sarah, man, the power went out. She's in a tropical storm, and that was her issue, so... She was back and forth with us trying to let us know, and the power just went out on her. So, uh, um, so she's yeah. uh, hopefully no she's sweat. safe. Uh, doesn't down. like me. I get it. I won't hold it against her. I know, all right? <laughs> Fuck. Um, man, I appreciate you, man. Much love, brother. And, uh, you, and everybody's going to follow the website. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, brother. Have a lovely day. How do I appreciate him coming on, man. That was a hell of a... What were you saying, Bob? Shit, I lost him. Um... Hell of a guy. Appreciate him coming on, man. Uh, the longest interview ever because I just thought that was needed, man. So, obviously, he's longer than we'll ever go with anybody. But uh, he was needed, and I know a lot of people suffer from that shit. And you know how I feel about it. Uh, that was just a, he was just a, 
he's more of a real cat that I've ever seen as far as dealing with that. He he actually helped Daryl Strawberry, a bunch of uh, people, and he actually got to meet them or see them the other day at this event we were at and where we got to hang out. So, hey, listen, Sarah's power went out. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We're right at three hours already. It's a hell of a long period. We had uh, thanks to Dan Wetzel, uh, Bob Marier, and all the guys in the crowd who asked those great questions, Wido, Josh, and everybody that was in here, Tom, and everybody else. Uh, appreciate you guys coming in. Lucy, TJ, everybody. I'll have Bob on, man. Maybe I'll do a session once a week with him or something. Uh, we'll have to do something like that. So uh, it's been a great one, man. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with another star-studded lineup, believe it or not. Um, we actually have... Um, Kelly uh, in Vegas, basically Kelly Barstool, who does a lot of the gambling stuff, money shots, she's on with another lady. We got Kelly on. We have Adam Snyder, Adam Snyder, former NFL 49er. Um, He'll be joining us. And then Friday, we got Alex Perez, MMA, uh, fought for the title, uh, MMA, uh, Alex Perez and Charles Arbuckle on Friday. Thirsty Thursdays tomorrow. We're sliding all up in Sarah's DMs. And we will get back to you tomorrow, 1 o'clock Pacific. Make sure you pound the like button before you get out of here. Subscribe. And if you're not a member, make sure you're a member by the end of the day. I appreciate you guys. And like I said, uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Peace. I'm a chameleon, they call me, man. I can go and walk into any... Any type of, uh, any home, any background, walk down any street in, in the country, in my opinion, and I think that real recognizes real. It's a new, new venture to have. Yeah. The Coach JV Show uh, with the fabulous Sarah Blake. I am ready to do some content. Coach JV Show. Give it to you straight, no chaser. Sarah Blake.